Are you ready for some fun? There it is. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune into this episode of DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this episode to get you through a workout or a run. Staying healthy, we appreciate that. We're going to help you out. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper, and new sponsor Linode for making that possible. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy that you know is on Team Cap because he always wears his Team Cap cap, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Mr. Kanata. I... I mean, this is not a movie review podcast, but ooh, my my, I I I man cried many times during that movie. It is so the best good. of times. It is the best of times to be a geek. We have in in one week, in one week's time, we are going to get both Marvel's Civil War and uh, Uncharted Four. I don't know what we do with ourselves as geeks, but uh, we're going to be talking a lot about Uncharted Four. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, the big news that's coming out. We got big game announcements that we're going to hip you to. Plus, bonus content this week, a special tabletop time uh, with a special interview of an upcoming board game. You are not going to want to miss that. Plus, I have bonus content at the end of the show talking to Dustin Browder from uh, Heroes of the Storm. So, oh my gosh, it's a jam-packed episode. But it's also even more jam-packed because we we have one of our favorite guests back with us today. We are excited. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But... We're very happy to tell you that DLC, once again, stands for Diatribes, Links, and Columns, because from GameRant.com, we've got one of our favorite go-to guests, Mr. Anthony Taormina. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm Team Vision in a sweater. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good team to be on. That's a good team to be on. Um, No spoilers, but uh, I think everybody in that movie gets, gets a little something cool to do, which is pretty amazing considering how many people are in it. But, yeah. Um, guys, this is a big week. We're, uh, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to dig in. So let's just do that. Let's just dive right in to story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story, story of the week. Part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always contribute stories for our consideration in this segment by using our hashtag DLC SOTW on Twitter, or by visiting our subreddit, which is a great place to both submit stories and discuss the show. Lots of cool people hanging out there with with cool comments. You can find that at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. But Anthony, you are our guest, so you do get first pick of stories. Lots of cool stuff to choose from this week. Rumors and news stories and announcements, oh my. So what is your story of the week? Uh, My story of the week, uh, I was going back and forth between the two. I feel like they are are united almost in a way, but uh, my story of the week is the Battlefield 1 announcement. Battlefield 1. Battlefield 1, everybody. Not 5. No, no, no. We're going back in time. Uh, Yes, uh, DICE has a new Battlefield, and it's set in, wait for it, World War 1. The trailer hit... 
It was leaked a little early, but then it, it hit with big fanfare at this big event that they threw. Uh, it's coming out October 21st on PS4, Xbox One, Windows PC. It's going to have all the stuff you think it should have, multiplayer modes, 64 players in multiplayer, all that craziness. But the big news is it's set in World War One: horses versus tanks, biplanes, uh, motorcycles, all kinds of different characters. Um, what do you what do you make of this, Anthony? Um, I honestly think that Dice. I I don't know if they knew what what Call of Duty was doing, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But uh, among the readership at Game Rant, there was like this huge groundswell over the last six months for a World War One, even a World War Two shooter, but mostly a World War One shooter. Everybody wanted a World War One shooter, uh, and Dice delivered it. it. Seemed like everybody is going nuts. The trailer is comprised of in-game footage, but it's no gameplay. But that idea seems fresh now through the lens of like so much, you know, future warfare and all these mechs and future tanks and all spaceships going into new planets. And now we have a game where it's that gritty. They they talked about it during the stream, you know, getting guys with bayonets, being in the trenches, using horses. That seems all... Uh, that all seems amazing to me. Whether or not it's going to be actually great is hard to say, but in concept, I like it a lot. Well, there was a bit of a leak right before this, and when I first saw the leak stuff and some of the hubbub around it before I actually saw the trailer, people were saying, it's an alternate history World War One with steampunk tech and like cool stuff. And I was like, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Uh, a little disappointed when I found out it's sure. just actual World War One. <laughs> But at least it is unique and different, and they're you know they're, they're changing it up. Um, as you said, you know we talked about it a little last week, but the official trailer for Call of Duty Infinite Warfare is out, and that's going the other direction. It is also time traveling, but to the future. So um, that's going to have like space fights, and uh, it's I don't think there's any aliens per se, at least not in the trailer. No, they said they said no aliens. Yeah, so it's humans just uh, fighting in space and fighting each other with futuristic weapons. Uh, it's really a tale of two receptions on on these two games, these two big competitors, uh, both of them sort of abandoning the modern warfare setting that they've fought on, uh, fought each other on uh, over the years, and going in opposite directions. And boy, it seems like people are not happy that Call of Duty is going to space. Um, Christian, what is your take on both of these games? I think the reveal trailer for Battlefield 1, fidelity-wise, the graphics look stunning. As Anthony mentioned, it's not, you know, gameplay. It's an engine or whatever it's from the game, but you're not seeing what you're going to be doing. I think it's a heck of a trailer. I'm curious how it plays, um, you know, because how how realistic do you want a single-shot musket or if you're still using knight armor, you know, climbing over a trench, uh, they showed some dogfighting, which looked incredible. Like, that's such a cool, iconic era of dogfighting in these biplanes and stuff. But from all historical accounts, they controlled awfully. And half, <laughs> yeah. the, time, half the time, you died just trying to land, you know? So it's like... Well, then that would be consistent with all the Battlefield games I've played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finally, everyone's on an equal playing field. Just uh, bad. Yeah. I, I hope it's great. I think it's cool. It is this weird thing where, well, also one, 
World War One hasn't really been done to death, right? It's not they're not going back to World War Two. People there have certainly been World War One era shooters, and they they never got super popular. They never clicked. So if Dice can pull it off, more power to them. I think what I want to see from Dice from Battlefield One is multiplayer that works. Uh, day one, heck, I'll give them week one if that can be working and running. Battlefront worked pretty well, so hopefully they've learned some lessons. And um, a single-player campaign I maybe care about. I don't think there's been one since Bad Company. They've certainly tried with Hardline and um, you know some of the other games to, to have that. This trailer certainly looked like it was showing some form of narrative. Maybe I'm wrong. And then from Call of Duty, I... I admire them for always doing new things with a franchise that comes out every year. Um, I just don't know if space war fighting is, is what I go to that franchise for. Um, I hope it's great, but it is. We, I think gamers are starting to feel this futuristic wall run Android era fatigue. And um, hopefully they can pull something off and, and do something great. I still think the game will sell well, especially as they've included the, you know, reimagining or i'm sorry the remastering of modern warfare which i mentioned last week we had not seen the trailer for um the, the footage of that looks great it doesn't look like a simple you know we up it it looks like they put in some work in that so if that's only available on the 80 dollars version right now i think uh call of duty will do will do pretty well even if it's only because <laughs> people want to go back in time there what is your take jeff well i mean you you make a couple of points that i think i should uh, underscore yes the it looks like the remaster of modern warfare is not going to be sold separately so you can't just get that if that's all you want evidently you do have to buy them in, in the pack at least to start we'll see if that lasts you know beyond a few months but um i think that's interesting it certainly is a way to juice sales and this is one of this trailer, this debut trailer is in the top 10 of negatively reviewed YouTube, uh, a- any content on YouTube of all time. So 1.2 million dislikes right now and, and growing um, on this reveal trailer. Activision actually came out with a statement talking, <laughs> you know, responding to how many dislikes they've gotten. So your feeling that this may not be what you want out of Call of Duty seems to be echoed. I'm kind of baffled by that. It's a strange, it's a strange position. I think from a lot of gamers to say, "Stay in your lane, Call of Duty. Don't do anything that I don't approve of." Yeah, I'm going to be super excited about Titanfall, which is basically Call of Duty in space. But you're not allowed to do anything like that because you have to stay in your lane. It seems so odd to me um, that people are so ticked. But I'm not, a, you know, a Call of Duty super fan, so maybe I don't get why people are so upset about this. Um, it just seems like. Yeah, they got to keep it fresh and keep doing kind of interesting, cool stuff. And and those designers doing a space game, sure, I think that sounds kind of cool. I'm I'm curious to play it, but I don't know. As far as Battlefield One goes, here's my take: We have had, you know, both of these franchises started out in World War II, and that was when World War II games were like the shooters, you know, and they were very much from this place, from uh, Medal of Honor and uh and call of duty and they were very much from this place of honoring the greatest generation they were very they were very reverent and uh you know it was all about sort of this historical accuracy and creating uh an homage to that time and giving you a, a look into what it must have been like to fight during world war ii and yeah of course some of the stuff was over the top because you were one person against thousands but still it, it came from a place of of historical authenticity 
Well, then Modern Warfare came along and really blew the doors open and said, no, we're going to make this franchise into a sort of rock star uh, badass simulator. That's what I called it when we first reviewed it back on the Totally Rad Show years ago. It felt like for, for the first time, Call of Duty was this badass simulator and you were you were a guy who was sort of a superhuman almost. And each iteration subsequently feels like even more of that, doubling down, creating that big budget action film experience. You are over the top. You're super powerful. You're doing crazy things. The action gets jacked up higher and higher. And we're at this sort of rock star place of, of what the experience is like playing these games. And now... Battlefield is going back to World War One, but I suspect, and certainly judging from the trailer, that that aesthetic, that that feeling, is going to be retained. So we're not going back to World War One to sort of be honoring that, to be reverent to, to World War One. I. I think it's going to bring with it where we've come with these games, and it's going to be World War One, not anything remotely historically accurate, but much more a rock and roll, like, go crazy, over-the-top, superhuman, you know, this one goes to 11-type action experience. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that could be really, really fun. But it'll be interesting to see how willing they are to divert away from historical accuracy to create a sort of competitive, uh, you know, big blockbuster, AAA video game experience as we know them today. Yeah, it's like, quick, get to the biplane. It just crashes on takeoff. Oh, sorry. <laughs> like, destructible environments, i.e., spend four days digging a trench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, Stats1 in the in the chat here says he disagrees. He thinks the devs are going to keep it accurate. They may very well, but certainly this trailer is not in that, you know, doesn't give you that feeling, right? It's not in that spirit. It. It certainly is. It's got you know, uh, I think a white stripes song behind it, and it's yeah. uh, you know, it's definitely like over the top, insane. Look at the horse; it's fighting a tank. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. What do you what do you think, Anthony? Uh, I agree with you. I I certainly don't expect it to be. I think there are enough the, enough games out there that have tried that type of. This is World War One as realistic as we can possibly do for a video game, and those have their share of fans. But Battlefield is a worldwide brand, and they still need to make it, you know, palatable to people who just want to shoot other people in the face. So, um, in order to do that, I, I think that there's there's going to be a need to uh, kind of tweak the realism. They didn't say it outright, but they suggested that you'll be able to ride horses during the multiplayer. So I'm sure there's going to be, you know, a lot of the the horse versus tank situation and people posting videos on YouTube of guy takes out tank using horse. Uh, And yeah, I I don't expect them to be too realistic with it. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I think it, it benefits the game overall because I think some people may or the casual fans are going to be looking for something familiar and if they kind of dial that back and make it truly realistic then it won't be as fun for them as long as as long as there's horse teabagging right guys we can all yeah. agree on that as long as that's in the game we'll all be happy um it's <laughs> pretty crazy uh, I'm excited for these, and, and I think we're seeing these big announcements that are going to sh- be showcased at E3. And it, it's it's you know it's a great time of year to be excited about what's going to hit in the fall. 
Um, and I like the fact that these big franchises aren't just redoing what they've always done. They are really all, it's not just like, Hey, the next chapter in this story, it's more like, we're really going to, you know, be more adventurous with where we set it, how we deliver it. Um, so I think these are positive things. It's just so crazy to me that the reaction on one of them is so positive and the reaction on the other is so negative. I, I, I feel like it, it, it feels very arbitrary to me, but it seems like the YouTube dislike is the new tool. Right. Uh, with, like with Ghostbusters and the Fine Brothers. It seems like the new, like, we are going to attack your your thing is yeah. the YouTube dislike. One of my favorite things about the Activision press release, though, and I'm paraphrasing, but it said something, or I don't know if it was the official press release or just talking points that came out from them. It was like, well, yeah, it's gotten a lot of dislikes, but, you know, Black Ops 2 got the most di- dislikes of its time when it was released, and it ended up being a great game. <laughs> it's like, I understand the truth behind that, but it's, it's like, no, 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 our trailers are disliked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but it's tough. You know, um, Stephen A. Rivers in the chat says that he can't get hyped for something when the last one was unplayable, that they need to earn his money. I give him a lot of credit for that. Yes, The Last Battlefield is, I think, the only game ever, maybe? Maybe since, at least since I was a little kid. It's the only game that I've ever gotten my money back on because it was so broken when I tried to play it. Uh, I purchased The Last Battlefield 4 and uh, literally got my money back from Origin because it was so broken. Um, So, you know, it's important not to forget that. And I think you have to hold them accountable and say, hey, yeah, you should earn our excitement. Um, And, you know, they they keep saying it's a very big priority for us that the game works when it's released. But it's like, um, yeah, I think that should be a given. given. (laughs) All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Um, Hello, NVIDIA. What the? I mean, everybody, Pascal's coming, right? It's been the rumor since... I don't know, five years now, four years. Like this is the graphical leap. We're going to have a new architecture. It's going to be incredible. And NVIDIA finally had their, oh gosh, what conference? They're in Austin. And they took the wraps off of the Geoforce GTX 1080. Breaking my G- heart in the process. <laughs> well, you knew it was going to happen. Welcome. I didn't know it was going to happen this fast. Really? I thought it was late. Everybody, I had heard it was going to be February or the original leaks when they're coming out. Uh, well, when when they showed Pascal uh, just like a couple of weeks ago, the um, the big sort of um, industrial version that they were going to, you know, it's not for sale to consumers. All of the the things I'd been hearing were it's like, we're showing that. They're showing that because the consumer version is a long way away. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I feel good about investing in my new PC. Oh, and they break my heart. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so the GT 1080, the GT 1070. GTX 1080. Yeah. GTX, yeah. yeah, sorry. The 1080 will be on shelves May 27th <laughs> and costs six ninety nine. dollars <laughs> The Titan X, their current best in class, is about a thousand. <laughs> and according to Nvidia, <laughs> they're like the Titan X is less powerful and much less efficient. Which I, <laughs> I mean, it was almost an Apple style presentation where you know Tim Cook is up there like, "This is the new iPhone. Do you have the old iPhone? Throw it in the trash." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were sh- showing that what is it? The 1080. The GTX 1080 is faster than two GTX 9i 980s running SLI. Yeah. Holy moly! And the 1070 they say is going to be on par with the current Titan X, and it's going to retail for 449. And then that's the Nvidia branded board. And then yeah, so just, bo- just to reiterate, sorry. what you're saying is the new thing will be as as powerful or more powerful at 449 than their current thousand dollar card. 
Oh, no, no, Jeff. At 349, ah! they expect third-party manufacturers to come in without the cooling system that is on this Founders Edition card to come in around 349 for the GTX 1070. So um, your current SLI 980 or Titan computer you're currently running, Jeff, isn't outdated. It's garbage. You, you just paid too much <laughs> It's garbage it. now. It's, it, it's, it's, it's ruining my computer, actively ruining my computer. <laughs> Uh, it's killing me, dude. It's killing me. I, uh, you know, whatever. Did you watch that? Doom, the last thing, and then they showed the Doom, a Doom trailer running on a GTX 1080, mm-hmm. and they also had screenshots of like they can create realism, but not photorealism because that's not what we really want to see. We want to see this, and they showed like this character model evolving of to what it could render. Holy moly! Yeah, and they said uh, that it it broke the game because it was it was yeah. rendering it at two hundred <laughs> frames per second, and so they couldn't yeah. like they're like we didn't the engine doesn't know what to do if you can go that <laughs> fast, and I was like ah I was I was simultaneously drooling and vomiting at the same time. I was like I want this, but I can't believe I just bought a video card. I am the world's biggest idiot. Um, my wallet just got out of my pocket and straight walked over to uh, Fry's. <laughs> so this is huge news, huge news for uh, PC gamers, but I also think it has ramifications for console gamers. Um, basically, these cards also are optimized to be the best ever for VR, which is something I'm very excited about. And the fact that they're coming out and they're, they've decided not to make these at the sort of same price points that they've been selling their high-end cards for, that they really are much much lower priced and hopefully uh, a little more affordable for a larger portion of, of PC <laughs> gamers, right? So so you can – I'm hopeful that this helps adoption for VR. I'm also hopeful that f- for these consoles, that these mystery consoles that we, we hear are going to be announced at E3 – uh, the the new Sony console, the new Microsoft console, maybe some of this tech. I know that they are usually um, AMD supplied uh, their graphics chips, but you know there's going to be a new Radeon card evidently as well. So I, I'm hoping this level of leap is what maybe consoles are going to be hitting very soon as well. If this thing is ready to hit the shelf in weeks, in like three weeks, it's you can buy it. This ain't PS four point five though. This is PS six, right? I mean, Anthony. Uh, this, yeah. this is insane. The, well, I I'm in Jeff's boat less so because I got a I got a nine seventy as a wedding gift. What garbage? Did you just poop on it? Uh, <laughs> but I was fully prepared. Um, when I put it on our wedding registry list, I said this is kind of a gag gift. It's probably going to be, you know, it already is obsolete, but it's probably going to be rendered like even more obsolete shortly because I had heard the scuttlebutt about, you know, these new cards with the Pascal architecture. Uh, that said, like for the for the console market, I think it definitely puts more pressure on whatever Sony and Microsoft are working on, if they're working on something, to make it an even bigger leap. Like at this, you know, before these cards were revealed they could probably have gotten away with, okay, here's PS 4.5 and it's on par with like a 980. Now the 980 is, as Jeff says, garbage. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it was almost like, like Sony and Microsoft had the opportunity to stop, get some Gatorade and get a little closer to PC. And then PC was like, I'm, I'm not even running, bro. I'm walking backwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's exciting for me because it means that hopefully, 
you know, we're going to have even better PC experiences, a lot more focus on PC experiences. And the card itself, from what they say, is it seems like it's very not consumer friendly, but very like PC novice friendly. They said like it's low power, you know, it's efficient. It it doesn't need super cooling necessarily. Um, that all seems super exciting. And I, for the power that it delivers, I'm... I'm waiting to see what Sony and Microsoft offer, but if they offer something that isn't like super amazing, I think I would prefer to buy this card, the 1080 specifically. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. I'm tempted to like anybody want to buy a 980? Jeff, take a breath. This is where for me, and I know I think we're in the same boat, and I need to gut check myself with like when I buy TVs or stereo equipment or anything. It's like, yes, this is incredible. And it's going to be incredible, but you know what? You don't need to run a game at 200 frames a but second. you could! <laughs> you could break the game. It runs so fast, you literally can't play it. <laughs> like, your cards are great. They'll be great for a few years. You're going to be fine. Relax. Take a deep breath. There's you literally like 100 ultra. frames per second I'm not seeing, Christian. <laughs> literally. Yeah, you will never see them. You cannot <laughs> see them. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know this is, uh, it's, it's my techno lust getting a hold of me and it, it, it's exciting. It's exciting, especially because, you know, one of the things that becomes real clear, uh, you know, after you've had VR a couple of weeks is how I've had VR, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm having my vibe. I still love it, but I'm, I'm definitely noticing that most of the stuff that's available now for Vive is really aimed at the low end of minimum specs, right? They, these these games are not taking full advantage of what's what's possible because they want to make sure they're so scared of of causing nausea. They don't want to let that that frame rate drop. So, I love the idea that making something a little more affordable and hopefully we can sort of up the the median uh, graphics capability of PC gamers so that these games can be a little bit more ambitious in how they how they you know render in vr it's a it's a tough thing because they have to have such a high frame rate and they have to render it double so uh a lot of vr games look like you know we're kind of jumping into the past a little bit graphically which is a it's a bit disappointing especially when you see something like uncharted 4 on your television um anyway um those are two three really major (laughs) stories and i'm hard pressed to to not say that one or both of them, or all three, are the story of the week. Uh, I definitely feel like the Heroes of the Storm reveals that happened this week, the new revamped rank play, is something that's close to my heart. I won't spend any time on that here in the uh, in the story of the week segment because I do have that Dustin Browder interview coming up uh, at the end of well, the give show. Well, f- give the flyover. Like, let me look at the forest. Flyover is that uh, they have completely changed the ranked leveling system for Heroes of the Storm ranked mode for Hero League. Uh, they really have turned it into a league. So there are these different tiers now, uh, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, grandmaster, uh, instead of what was just an evenly distributed um, numbered rank. So, you know, 50 to number one, um, which were evenly distributed over the player base. So you had 2% of the player base in each of those ranks, right? Mm, Instead, mm-hmm. now they have it 
have it distributed like a bell curve where they say basically most people are average, so most people should rank, be ranked average, and very few people are bad and very few people are good, so that it's not this even distrib- uh, distribution over all the ranks. And moving up and moving down is handled differently, and it's got a whole... What, what if my mom goes into the office and complains and says that I should have done better than this and I'm not average? Do I get moved up a rank? Uh, no, no, you have to actually um, get a doctor's note. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, it's it's pretty exciting for people like me who are hooked on ranked, and uh, they have these cool moments now when you go are about to go up a, le- a rank or down a rank. Uh, they'll have these dramatic sort of uh, ga- play in or play out games that everything is riding on that one game. It's pretty cool. But like mm. I said, I go into all of this in detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in that interview, so um, listen for that if you're into Heroes of the Storm. But I will also say. If you're not into Heroes of the Storm and you think you probably want to skip that interview, I would suggest listening to it. Dustin Browder is a fascinating guy and a fascinating mind who is working on all these problems that are applicable to multiple games, not just Heroes of the Storm. And he goes into a really interesting discussion at the end of the interview about the difference between hardcore gamers and casual gamers and what is that. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. So I, I would suggest even if you think you're not into here's the storm give it a listen i think you'll you'll enjoy it well i also heard that you guys give away a gtx 1080 somewhere in the interview is that right it's it's very very hidden very hidden um (laughs) but you know what at at this point those are uh yeah no it's i I give away a 980 which just garbage it's just oh yeah just just garbage just just come by my house it'll be sitting on the curb oh i'll come by (laughs) um so the, the the story I really want to talk about, though, before we move out of this section, is uh, a bunch of stuff, a bunch of Polygon articles about Epic Games uh, and some interesting stuff about the history of, of that developer and how the Unreal Engine kind of transformed their company. Uh, but one pullout, I think, from, from all that coverage of Epic is this note now that they are kind of uninterested in creating single-player games. Uh, that moving forward, they're they're really not focusing on single player games ever again. That they want to create games more like Paragon and Fortnite. That are these multiplayer games that aren't ever done, um, and they're not they're not. It's it's interesting, in, especially to me, in the same week that Uncharted Four comes out, right? Because Uncharted Four is sort of a Paragon, no pun intended, of that form, right? That single, although it does have multiplayer, it is really a game that you go out and you purchase and it's in a box and you've got it and it's done and you play it from start to finish and it's linear and it tells you a story. And those are the games that, you know, we all grew up with. And now there are these more open-ended experiences that are constantly evolve and are constantly being updated and ship quote unquote ship when they're not finished, when they're just sort of a work in progress and the developers continue to change them and they're much more multiplayer focused and it's interesting to me that a company as large as epic who has made so much of its bones creating big single player game experiences over the years isn't interested in that and it's mostly coming from an economic perspective and i wonder anthony if you think that's a positive thing or a negative thing or somewhere in the middle i think it's a positive thing for them they seem to be um since getting uh, away from Gears of War, it seems like their their focus is more on uh, delivering multiplayer that is for a very specific type of gamer, and not many people are catering to that. And then they're expanding that as well with with Paragon. So it 
it's I guess it's in their best interest to go for something that they do really well and just kind of double down on that and say, look, this is what we're going to focus on. And this is what we're going to deliver to people with all of our games. And this is our plan. And it's probably great for them. For me personally, uh, I like single player games. It means that I'm less interested in Epic games. I'll probably play everything they make, but I, I, I prefer, um, something that I can sit down and get engrossed in a story and then pop in the multiplayer afterwards. But that's just me. Yeah, isn't um, it interesting, Christian, that um, basically from an economic standpoint, what these companies are saying is it takes so much capital up front to create something and then release it and be done and hopefully make your money back and make money from it that it doesn't make as much sense as what is happening now with this whole whole sort of early access movement which is, you know, we can put out something that we're working on and it's in an unfinished state, but you can start either getting involved with it and it catching on and giving us money up front. Like we can sort of create a revenue stream, which then allows us to make it better and better and hopefully judge whether or not it's going to be a hit before we've finished it. So it's this sort of like, let's all hop on a moving train rather than, you know, send you to your destination that we finished if you if you if my analogy works yeah it's it's interesting because at what i mean the train has to have to keep the train analogy which is let's be honest more uncharted 2 than what you guys will be talking about later um to keep the the wheels on and have you need to have a train you need to have tracks you can't just release garbage right and something that isn't playable or you think poorly reflects your finished game because then you know, people are going to lose interest earlier and they're not going to come back. I think the the interesting thing is, you know, the I understand the appeal of multiplayer-driven games. Like, there is no single-player game, Jeff, that you have talked about as long as you've talked about Heroes. You know, it's, it's just a different style of game. And Heroes is free-to-play and whatever, and you're spending money over time in microtransactions. But I think game companies, publishers and developers, want that tail they want the the that kind of their game to stay relevant the way wow does the way dota is league of legends in a single play and in terms of like looking at a financial sheet right you spend this money on this thing you build an engine and then you support it which costs but you're making money off of it for 10 15 years versus you release rise of the tomb raider and people play it for a month and then you know it's it's done so i i understand it i i am not afraid that you know, I don't think this is the death of the single-player cinematic single-player game. People will fill that role. They'll find a way to do it cheaply or in a way that makes economic sense for them. And I think you know those games will still exist for people like me and Anthony to, to play and enjoy. It's like when we were doing We Can Confirm, Jeff, I feel like every year it was, is this the year the PC game dies? The P- you know, PC gaming on its deathbed. No, it... it We'll find a way to keep going. And I think Epic doing this just reflects how different that company is today from the Epic that made Gears of War 1 and 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 what they're trying to do and where they think their money is going to come from. And I, I get it. I'm not interested in any of their games, but I get it. I, I don't uh, hold it against them. Interesting. <clears throat> well, it'll be, it, it's going to be... Uh, I, I think a lot of companies... I mean, even Blizzard is sort of making that. I mean, they've already always had a you know, multiplayer bent even back to Warcraft and, and Starcraft uh, games. But I think even that company you're seeing with Hearthstone and Overwatch and Heroes of the Storm, there's this much more 
uh, a smaller thing that can be put out and then iterated on. It's less of these grand sort of World of Warcrafts and you know grand single player campaigns. I mean, Overwatch. If Overwatch was made even five years ago, ten years ago with Blizzard, it would have a big single player campaign, right? But it doesn't. Um, I just find it interesting that that that's happening to these big companies. They're just finding it doesn't make as much economic sense. But that's really not what you tuned in to hear about. You turned in to hear about us talk about Uncharted 4. Uh, so let's move on to the playlist. But first, I do need to thank our sponsor, Casper. Oh, my gosh. You've heard me talk about Casper before. That's because I sleep on it. I sleep on it. Uh, do you have a hard time uh, sleeping when, when it, you know you're going to wake up in the morning and there's going to be new games or new movies to watch and you're so excited? It's like Christmas and you just want to get to sleep so that morning will happen sooner? Casper's there to help because Casper makes it more comfortable, easier to sleep on. These are great mattresses. These are uh, really comfortable, inexpensive, affordable mattresses. But the best part is how you get them because mattresses, purchasing mattresses has been such a pain for so long. There's probably an old mattress that you've got that you've been sleeping on that's uncomfortable. You don't even think about how bad it is because you don't want to buy mattresses because mattresses are expensive. The whole process of getting them is annoying. You just don't even want to think about it. So you sleep on this crappy mattress and you wake up sore and achy and you don't know why and you don't think about it and you just don't want to worry about it because going into a store and laying down on a mattress and having some salesperson bother you and try to figure out in two minutes which mattress to buy that costs thousands of dollars, ugh, nobody wants that. That's why Casper exists. Casper allows you to buy mattresses inexpensively. We're talking like $500 for a twin, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $950 for a king. These are thousands of dollars in, in, in most retail stores, 1500 bucks. Uh, it's, it, you know, you don't want to buy, you don't want to spend that kind of money and they'll send it directly to your house super easily. It comes all rolled up. You just, it comes with a, like an unpacking kit. That's really elegant. You just unpack it. It unfolds in front of you. And then you have 100 nights to test it out. Not five minutes in a store. You get to sleep on it. You get to actually test it and make sure you like it. And you get to do that for over uh, over three months. You get a hundred nights to just hang out and sleep on it and make sure you like it. And if you end up not liking it, you get your money back and they come to your house and pick it up. You don't even have to worry about shipping it back to them. They'll come and grab it from you. That it doesn't get any better than that. Why worry? Why sleep on a bad mattress? All you got to do is go to casper.com, C A S P E R.com slash DLC. Get your free shipping. Try it for 100 nights and Use our promo code DLC when you check out, and you get 50 bucks off. I mean, this is the, the company that Time Magazine named one of the best inventions of 2015. It's the most awarded mattress of the decade, and it's got both latex and memory foams. I mean, these are great mattresses. We're going to give you 50 bucks off. Just go to casper.com slash DLC. Use that promo code DLC and get yourself upgraded into better sleep. All right, guys. Let's rock into the playlist. Um, guys, what do you guys want to talk about in the playlist? So, hmm. I, you, I know you you guys want to talk about, and I'm going to. I've made it this far. Um, I've only watched the Uncharted Four E3 trailer, 
So I made it very far without seeing or hearing anything. I'm going to take off my headphones and step away. And Jeff, text me when you're done because I, I don't want to hear I mean, anything. I don't think you guys are going to spoil it. But I do have one question before I leave. I have been replaying the Uncharted 1, 2, and 3 on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you on the most important part, twitch.tv slash The most important part. Um, But I will say, I think, and I'm sure Anthony will agree with me, uh, I think you made a very good choice replaying all those games right before this, because I obviously played through all those games, but not recently, and I think this game rewards intimate knowledge memories of those three it also gives you an interesting perspective i replayed the whole nathan drake collection i don't know a month or two ago and it you definitely can see the leap from three to four so my question to you and i see in the chat uh punches it's not a spoiler i just don't I just not. I'm afraid they're going to spoil it. I would just rather go in completely cold and knowing nothing, seeing as how I'll be playing the game in mere hours. Anyway, my question to you: As I replayed them, I played them on easy because I feel like as I was playing them, I started to feel like that's the difficulty that best represents how Nathan Drake would handle this world. Like if he's a dude that can run and jump, you know, fifty feet and hang from a thing and shoot a thing and blow up a thing and go Yahoo as he does the thing, I feel like I shouldn't come into a room with ten guys and die. I feel like I should go in there and pop, 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 shoot, you know, have to take cover and not just like walk without pushing buttons, but it should be easy. And so I'm tempted to play Uncharted 4 also on easy, unless you guys can talk me out of it without, you know, spoiling anything or getting too heavy into it. But I feel like that's the character. Well, I'm not going to talk you out of it. I I think that's actually a, a pretty viable way to play the game. I played it on normal. I have to admit I died a lot. A lot, maybe not a lot, but I died more than I would have wanted. Um, And, you know, that's maybe my skill level. But I also, you know, you did see the E3 trailer, right? It wasn't really a trailer. It was a chunk of gameplay from the middle of the game. And the person playing it for all those videos that we saw, and they really were playing it in real time, they played it and played it and played it, that section, over and over and over again. It's super good, so they made no mistakes. And that made that sequence seems so epic because they were doing all the right stuff and there was never a point where it like faded to black and white because you were close to death and he he was making the correct jumps and it just felt like this incredible cinematic action sequence and then when i played it <laughs> a couple of times i like i jumped off the thing and fell to my death one one time i shot a dude and it, i didn't want to do that and another part i was like oh i uh, i screwed up and i hit the thing wrong and, drove the jeep down the wrong alley and the guy hit me with a thing it's like oh well it's awesome but it's actually more awesome to like see it done all correctly and feel like you're doing it but doing it right so i certainly wouldn't i wouldn't give you any any shade for you know playing on easy at all hardcore anthony i played on hard uh (laughs) i'm three quarters of the way through on crushing oh man but I would say, at the very least, you should play normal. Um, this I don't consider this a spoiler, but th- they kind of designed the layouts of the, the shootouts to be a little bit more open, and you're not just kind of pinched behind a piece of cover. And I'm concerned that if you play it on easy, you'll be able to get away with, I just sit behind this cover at the beginning of the encounter. And one of the things I like about the game is being able to, you know, roll away and swing away, climb away and kind of change where I'm 
you know, working mm-hmm. from. And in fact, it, it kind of forces you to do that. It, it really asks you to be mobile. Yeah. And so I'm concerned that if you play on easy, you'll be able to get away with, I'm just going to sit right here at the beginning and you'll only move around because you want to move around. Um, uh, uh, okay. Well, I'm going to have fun. Uh, Jeff, text me when you're done and um, okay. enjoy it. <laughs> all right. So even though Christian is leaving, we're not going to be real spoilery at, at all. So you guys don't have to feel like you have to turn off the, the podcast at this point or skip ahead or anything. We will be very clear when we when we say any spoilers, right, Anthony? Absolutely. But we will talk generally about what we thought. Both of us have finished the game, uh, the single-player game, although I don't know if you played any multiplayer. I did not because the servers just went online. Today. I did during – there was like a set of multiplayer sessions I, I played during one of them. Okay, so you can talk a little bit about that. But let's just start with your overall impressions of Uncharted 4. I loved it. In a word, you know, in a series of words, I loved it. Uh, I have some nitpicks, which we can get into. Uh, one of my nitpicks, I know you shared on Twitter with the color fading, but across the board, uh, from a technical perspective, from a storytelling perspective, I, I mean, every facet of the game to me struck me as this is top level game design. The the yeah. the levels are beautiful they're detailed they feel like they have that real handcrafted touch uh the the mechanics have been super refined especially looking you know when i was first playing it i was kind of like okay when you know this feels familiar but then if you look back at where three was with the climbing this game is leaps and bounds above it in terms of like the animation and the the fluid motion to it and then the characters i think across Across the board, they are not evenly great, but I think all the characters you know and love are great in in the game. There really isn't a a specific thing with it that did not exceed my expectations. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I definitely have nitpicks as well, and we'll get to those. But um, I think this is the greatest cinematic storytelling video game of all time. And a lot of people, when I tweeted something similar to that, said, oh, better than Last of Us? I was not a huge fan of Last of Us. I loved the story. I think the story here is more difficult to tell and is, is conveyed in, in a much better, honestly. Um, you have the sort of built-in drama of the end of the world in The Last of Us, you know? And the, this game doesn't get to rely on that kind of thing. It really has to construct a, a story with really interesting characters, and it... It, it handles the lore of Uncharted brilliantly. I care about all these people, even new characters that I've never met before. There are, it is so perfectly paced. I can't understand how you even do that over a game that is not short. This is not an eight-hour experience. I, I finished the, the single-player campaign in 14 hours, and I don't think you could do it in less than 10. I mean, it is... No, definitely not. It, it, it's a lengthy, meaty experience that ebbs and flows, that has really beautiful character moments, subtle, fun, revealing moments um, between Drake and, and all these, his surrounding cast, but also has these grand set piece over the top, you know, everything you'd want out of a big budget action adventure on the big screen. Like, this is cinematic storytelling. That, that you are discovering things all along the way. The actual mystery that you're unraveling is so 
interesting and 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 I'm, I was constantly curious about what we were going to find next. The puzzles are actually ask you to use your brain and are I think well designed and fun to to figure out. I think it does almost everything better than previous games. Um, yes. I think the one exception is is the hand-to-hand combat. I think the hand-to-hand combat is the only system in the game that took a step backwards. And I think it's because they decided to make it less complicated for some reason. You know, there's really only two buttons in the yeah. hand-to-hand combat. And one of them is just like get out of a, a hold, which is very strange to me. Like you have a punch or a get out of a hold. So it's like, well, you're just going to be spamming punch until someone holds you, right? Um, so I found that to be a little yeah. odd. But 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 the but the shooting system, the stealth system, all that stuff is more fun, I think. The I think the um I think the climbing, the platforming of the game is far better in the sense that the platforms I think are not as obvious as they always used to be that I really felt like I was discovering how to get from place to place that there felt like there were some, sometimes multiple pathways to get from place to place. Um it's it definitely has another nitpick I would say is it definitely has this kind of floaty physics where you can when you leap onto a, a ledge he kind of just makes yeah, it yeah <laughs> yeah it it has that same and you know you're you're jumping and you're like I don't think I'm gonna make it oh I made it wait how did I make it yeah I, I agree with that yeah. and then the with this with the rope swing mechanic they introduce which I think is smart you know Nathan will reach out to let you know you can make it yeah. um and there mm-hmm. were times where I was like he's reaching but I don't really feel like I would make that and then he kind of does this right. like upward arch for his jump but yeah it's there it is a little a little weird but I I think overall it the animation on it looks real good yeah, absolutely. And and you know this game is really greater than the sum of its parts because I would I would say that stuff feels a little wonky and I forgave it very very fast. Like yeah, you know, I kind of fly to a ledge and kind of, you know, move in a way that and even the side characters are like when they leap to a ledge it's like, "Really? How did, how did you make that?" Uh and really all of us can do this. We're all good at at okay, fine. But it just so all of that melts away. All those little nitpicks melt away behind what is such a thoroughly satisfying game experience from start to finish. I was never bored by any moment in the game, even these slow little character moments that the game indulges in. I I, I loved it. You know, there's so many video games where I'll set the controller down during a cutscene and maybe be tempted to pick up my phone or iPad or something. I never did that with this game because I was always, the acting is so top notch and the ability to convey emotions through these CGI characters faces is extraordinary. I, I couldn't believe the, the nuance of the, the things that were conveyed just from a look. Yeah. I, I think uh, one of the, the best examples of what struck me as the most impressive uh, Nadine, there's a villain, her name's Nadine, her hair. Um, it, yeah. it it looks like real curly hair and I can't think of yeah. a, a time when I, you know, when I've seen a game where it was like, this is, this is them just kind of, it almost feels like they're showing off because that the voice actress, Laura Bailey looks nothing like Nadine. They were like, we're going to give her curly hair because that seems difficult. And that, that definitely <laughs> uh, kind of feels like their approach to the game overall. They said, well, let's do it. Cause it seems difficult. Let's put, you know, mud in the ground and force you know, mud on textures and make it hard on ourselves. And they challenged it. And I think they rose to the challenge at almost every corner. Uh, Yeah. I mean, to talk about how good this game looks, 
it's the best looking video game I've ever seen, and and not and it's not close. Yeah, like I agree. The game starts off beautiful, and then it just gets more more and more beautiful as you go on. And the places you get to see, the places you get to go, the things you get to experience are so beautiful and detailed and spectacular. I mean, it is utterly jaw-dropping all the time like constantly i kept like poking my wife and going honey look honey look where i am now look look honey look at that oh my god look look where i'm now it's unbelievably beautiful and you, the thing you're saying about the hair like the front of um of nathan's hair like you can see through the individual oh, yeah, strands yeah. of his hair it's wild the uh one of the things that i l- was telling some of my friends when they're asking me is you spend a considerable amount of time in the jungle or in jungle environments and i think uh, in the context of where Uncharted has been, that might seem like a disappointment, but it's a credit to Naughty Dog's ability that even a dense jungle feels unique. It has different textures and different colors. I mean, there's yeah. so much green in this game, and I was never like, oh, green. you know, you play a different game and people are like, oh, it's the brown shooter. This is, you. if this game was bad, you could just say, oh, this game is so green, but it it's green in a good way there are so many different vibrant colors of green and the it feels otherworldly at times it almost feels like naughty dog has a different perspective on like how to do scope and scale like the backgrounds uh, you look back at where you've been and you see i walked through all of that and it was all interactive i didn't you know this isn't a skybox this isn't a matte painting this feels like Whatever path they created, whatever, whatever they envisioned, they did an excellent job of finding out how to do their vistas in combined with like interactive elements. Yeah, and, and they understand that part of the joy of this game, of this series, is getting to go to these locations. And you know, it, they understand that they're, they're giving you these moments where you like get to the top of something and get to look out over the whole area that you just climbed up. And I think... The biggest achievement of this entire game, well, maybe, I don't know, there's a lot of amazing things, but one of the biggest achievements is the camera. I could not believe how well implemented the camera was in this game. When it zooms in, when it zooms out, where it goes, how beautifully directed this game is. And in a game where I'm exploring, where I'm constantly sort of going into areas where I would be lost or trying to find a thing, there is no mechanic where you push a button and it says your target is over this direction. There's no way to know which way you're going other than the fact that every level is beautifully designed to sort of funnel you that direction in a a very uh, non-overt way. It it doesn't feel like I'm being guided, but I'm also never never feel lost, never feel like I needed that button that you get in so many games of like, okay, where the hell is the goal? Yeah. Okay. That, to be fair, there is that button in the game. Yeah. There- you can, you can press down on the D pad and it'll like tell you where your buddy is or tell you where. Oh, well that's, but that's different. It's, it only happens when you're, when it says like, find, find, I did buddy. get lost at and- one point and it said, Hey, and then I pressed down on the D pad. It happened to me once. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that, well, I think for the most part, yeah, I was very impressed with how oh, I absolutely. never needed that. I never even was like, where's the button that tells me where my goal is? Um, but, you know, you bring up the the fact of the buddies. 
I think this is the, the these are the most helpful characters in the history of video games. The most helpful NPCs. Like finally, we have characters in a in a video game that are actually useful and will contribute and and pitch in when needed. Like they'll move the car for you when you need them to move the car, you yeah. know, for a thing or. They actually have some sense of agency, and they f- they feel more like you're hanging out with real people than I've ever experienced in a game before. Uh, yeah, I agree. I almost, you know, I, as I was getting towards the end, I know that there, uh, Naughty Dog released like a multiplayer DLC plan, and somewhere in there, there was like a co-op thing. I'm curious because I honestly think that there are some spots where there is not a buddy, but I honestly feel like this game could be an amazing co-op experience i hate games that force co-op but i i would love to play this game with a friend but uh, yeah i totally agree with you i think that would be a really fun experience but i I just am so impressed with how well the npcs are realized like they're always chatting and giving you helpful uh helpful information about the environment but they're also doing things you don't ever have to babysit them they don't ever feel like they're waiting for you. I mean, a few times they'll wait for you to do things, but for the most part, they're like doing their own stuff and contributing and helping out and going, hey, I found something over here. Or It feels more like you're in this adventure with other real humans than I've ever experienced with an NPC. And, and, and I think that's, that's a huge part of what's so fun about these games is that I, I'm on this adventure with what feels like friends. Yeah. You know? And and. It's amazing. Yeah, they mark enemies, they grab enemies, they shoot enemies. On hard, they're a little less uh, reliable for taking out enemies. Uh, one of the things I really liked is anytime you're with Sam, the way he kind of meta comments on Nathan Drake, where he's like, you know, things are always falling apart around you, or, you know. Yeah. I, I, is it always like I, this? Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, it, and and the, the big set piece moments are so fun. The the central mystery story I found to be really exciting and uh, way better payoff than any of the other Uncharted games. Like it avoids a lot of the bad things that I think have happened at the ends of Uncharted games, which is so nice. That epilogue is beautiful and wonderful. Um, I've never, I've never seen a story sort of come together in the video game, you know, an installment, a sort of final installment of a video game series character come together in such a satisfying way. It, I, it's this game's a home run, man. I, I love. Yeah, it. absolutely. I I agree. I I do have like a few nitpicks. Uh, one one is to do with the story. I do kind of feel like I know I agree with you that the central mystery and everything, but it does kind of feel slightly old hat. I feel bad saying that almost, but it was kind of like when I, I had no idea what the story was about and when it kind of came together, what they were going after um, without Mm. spoilers, I was kind of like, well, I have kind of done that. Um, It's not, it's not like you're not going back to anything, but yeah, it is like, uh, and, uh, to a greater extent, I think the villains are not nearly as memorable uh, in this game. I agree. And they have they're, – they're sort of um, – yes, I agree they're less memorable. They're less really participating in the story. They're sort of just always around. For, and you, you wonder, like, well, how did they get yes. here? You know, how did they do that? Um, and, and it feels like we're supposed to think that the male uh, bad guy – 
is a bigger deal, yes. but we don't ever really get to see why he knows Drake. Or, you know, we, we get a little hints at that, but it, it feels like there's a deeper backstory there that would have made him, I think, even more. Yeah, it doesn't really uh, – they try and set up why he is the villain, but I don't think they do a good job. It's almost really like a, a switch just kind of went off in his brain, and he was like, okay, now I don't like the Drake brothers, and it's a little weird. Yeah. I found myself constantly comparing this to Rise of the Tomb Raider because it's so sure, yeah. recently released. Uh, it was the DLC game of the year last year. It's a game both Christian and I adore. And, you know, they're obviously very similar themed. Um, they're very different. But I, I really do think Rise of the Tomb Raider is the better video game and uh, Uncharted 4 is the better cinematic experience. And I think that, you know, what, what they have with Uncharted 4 is, like, peak Naughty Dog. It's what, what Naughty Dog does better than anybody, they have done better than they've ever done before. And that is, deliver something that gives me a cinematic experience that video games haven't been able to find or figure out for so long. To how to convey a story that feels like I'm participating in a big-budget Hollywood movie. And... Tomb Raider has a, a fun story, I guess, but it 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 never really comes together in a thing that like could work on the big screen or could just hold together just purely based on its story. But what it has going for it is all of the fun video game trappings of like a role playing system and leveling up and figuring out how to do cool things and having these fun you know all these systems that are in place that Uncharted kind of abandons and doesn't really care about. It has some concessions to gameplay in, in, this, in the form of the shooter moments, but even the shooter moments in Uncharted 4 feel less like I'm stepping into a video game and more like, hey, this is the part of the movie where shooting happens. Yeah. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I almost feel like uh, the main criticism, at least from my perspective, from, from the outside world of Uncharted, was always, yeah, the game is amazing in almost every way, but the shooting could be better. And so I feel like maybe they realize that. And for this game, there is a lot less shootout sequences. There's a lot more uh, of everything else. And so um, I, I honestly, if they could take Tomb Raider's, you know, combat and put that into an Uncharted, I think you might have a game that is like, not to say this game isn't already an all-timer, but you might have something that's, you know, next level. But I, yeah, I agree that uh, Uncharted 4 is is leaps and bounds above tomb raider i even think that what tomb raider does best is the tombs but the tombs are Mm -hmm. all you know climbing based and uncharted has that real indiana jones like i'm in an area and i'm solving a puzzle and i'm using my brain and unique mechanics to um suss out a problem whereas tomb raider's tombs were fun to figure out but they were all usually like i'm just gonna push this thing and then jump on this thing uncharted has a lot of puzzles that you have to consult Nate's notebook or his journal and, and think about them. And that felt to me like the most treasure hunter E. Um, I agree. Yeah. It, it, it makes you really feel like you're doing that thing that you imagine they do where it's like, well, I'm going to, I have this bit of evidence and how am I going to apply it to the situation at hand? And some of the puzzles are pretty clever. I Absolutely. Think, in this yeah. Game. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. Uh, how would you compare it to The Last of Us? I'm 
I'm going to read a, a comment, a lengthy comment here in the, in the chat. Musum said, the thing that Last of Us did that elevated above its predecessors was the way the gameplay manifests, like real-time crafting, unprecise aiming, brutal close combat, supported the theme of human self-preservation. Then, flipping that theme on its head with Joel's decision at the end, illustrating self-preservation in an emotional rather than physical way. Does Uncharted 4 do... Uh, does Uncharted 4 marry gameplay and theme meaningfully than, uh, or more meaningfully than its, than its predecessors 1, 2, or 3? Um, I would say no. I would say that the combat still feels like you know, you're, you're adventuring for a little bit, and then you, you get to a point where their bad guys are just here. It, it's, it's still a video game, and at the end of the day, like they, they needed to still have combat. Uh, but like I said, it feels like there's far less of it. You're spending more time doing the Nathan Drake stuff, climbing on surfaces and adventuring. Uh, but yes, the, the shooting is a lot less organic than The Last of Us. Um, yeah, I, you know, I actually... In contrast to what you're saying, I could I could go for I know this probably isn't a very popular sentiment, but I could go for an Uncharted game where there isn't any shooting. Sure, I, I think they have gotten to the point where the platforming elements are so much fun and so well done. I mean, yes, I criticize the sort of weird floaty physics, but but that doesn't change the fact that you know leaping off of a platform, throwing your rope onto a thing, swinging, making a last second leap to a, a chasm where you're sliding down out of control and then jump at the last second to grab onto a ledge. All that is so much fun, and there's so much of it, and they figure out a way to make me feel like I'm discovering it rather than just running to the, to the place that is the only place you can go. Um, I, I could just do that for the whole game. Yeah, I actually I found myself saying that as well because there are so few combat sequences I was thinking to myself. Do they even really need this? Yeah, it kind of supports the other half of like Nathan Drake's personality and that like, you know, he he likes to beat people up, but yeah, I I totally agree. Uh one of the things that that kind of struck me as looking forward to The Last of Us is the way that they do kind of decrepit old buildings and stuff and the way they kind of pepper foliage and undergrowth and all that stuff. Like be ready for a last of us two that is going to knock your socks off visually at the very least, because they already tease a lot of like, these are environments that have been just overrun by nature. And I feel like they're just going to go for it with last of us. Yeah, it is. It is a gorgeous game. It just gets more and more gorgeous. The later you get into the game. And I think there's more fighting in the later you get in the game too. Yes. Um, you know, but uh, it, it it crescendos in just the right places. You know, uh, when I was about halfway through, and, and you get to that sequence that they showed at E3, I was like, "This better not be the best part of this game," because you know I was wasn't sure how long the game was going to be, and it, it that that sequence from E3 is unbelievable and and so cool. And I thought, "Oh no, we're you know this is going to be like the the biggest coolest set piece in the game," and it's certainly one of them. But I think where the game goes by the end and, and what you get to see and experience and, and how it switches up uh, firefights, uh, it's so satisfying all the way through. Agree. Uh, the, the one thing I would say with that is it doesn't have, um, like Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3 have like a signature sequence. I would say Uncharted 4 does not, in my opinion. 
you know, like Uncharted 2 has the train and Uncharted 3 has the plane. Um, but yeah. at, at the same time, I stopped and said to myself, is that is that because this game feels a little more realistic? Because the train and the plane are a little, la- they're a little, you know, heightened reality more so than what's in this game. Um, right. Yeah, I would say look for the game to top your expectations in terms of like visuals and creativity with water, light, mud, all of that stuff, movement, um, and not necessarily like, oh my God, I'm upside down on a plane and the plane is like, you know. Um, yeah. That, that, well, I think we would have felt that if we hadn't seen that E3 thing before because that's like, very true. You know, being pulled behind a car and then pulling yourself up and like skating. That is a good point. Mud, that is a good point. It's, that's amazing. Um, Chin Kim 40 in the chat said better than Quantum Break. Uh, you know that I wasn't a huge fan of Quantum Break, but I have to admit that it kind of makes a mockery of, of, of that game in, in this sense. And I, maybe that's too harsh, but just in the sense that they're really showing that it is not a plus one to cut to live action people. They have, have gotten to the point, Naughty Dog I'm talking about, has gotten to the point where these actors, these characters, this technology is just as emotive, just as expression-filled as, as live action. It, I, I, am, I care just as much about these characters. I understand how they feel at any given moment. Very nuanced bits of emotion are conveyed in just a look. You know, the, the relationship between Nate and his wife is so spot-on and so beautiful. I mean, this is really a game about growing up is really what it's about. Um, yeah. It's about a character who realizes he has to grow up. And I found that to be, as a guy who's about to have his first kid, I found that to be really heart, you know, it touched me and and uh, and made me think. And it, it's really a game that is about something. And I, I think that's amazing too. Yeah, it never relies on, it. you know, you see this game and you see what it, what it, um, is going for bringing back a brother who he thought dead. It never g- goes for any of those obvious things. Well, I shouldn't say that. In most cases, it never goes for the obvious thing. You know, it's it's not a um, a, a story that you you can figure out right off the bat. It, at least for me, I, I didn't. You know, I expected specific things, and I never got those. I expected specific moments with uh, Nate and Sully. I expected certain you know sequences especially with nate and elena and they defy you know they kind of went the other way with it and i i loved it even more because of that yeah and so much fun and so many little wonderful little easter eggs and jokes and things it's it's glorious it is one of the best video games I've ever. yeah one one of the best video game easter eggs of all time in my opinion (laughs) that's true too uh, well, we'll talk more about this. Let's get Christian back. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this in future episodes, I'm sure, when he's had a chance to play it. But um, I'm so glad that you got to be on to talk about it because uh, I just was gushing. And, and yeah, and it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but it's... it's. I'm back, baby. Yeah, yeah. It, it's real good. Whew. Let's get some stuff done. How, how is that for you, Christian? You're, you all right? Well, um, unfortunately, I was just watching Let's Plays of Uncharted 4, so... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's not a bad choice <laughs> didn't it uh, didn't work out what's on well. your what's on your uh your playlist christian so i want to talk about did you guys talk about the uncharted ios game at all fortune hunter no no we did not so i played that it came out it's free to play it's on ios i'm not sure if it's on anything else because i don't have any other type of phone uh it is is this the one where they stole my likeness for it yes oh no 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 this is the one where you've been slowly <laughs> shaping yourself to look like nathan drake since the first game <laughs> ah ah well 
Uh, time well spent. That's what I say. <laughs> when I saw your Twitter profile pic, you changed it to the character art for this game. I was like, oh, snap. Kanata <laughs> got cast in the Uncharted cartoon. I wish. And then, which this art style totally could support a Uncharted cartoon, by the way. Um, it's a free-to-play iOS game. It's called Uncharted Fortune Hunter. And it's a fairly simple puzzle game where you're navigating a grid. You swipe uh, a continuous swipe to move your character. And then along the way, you need to step on panels to unlock certain things and get the treasure. And I started playing it because it comes with unlocks. You you can earn unlocks for um, skins and stuff like that for Uncharted 4. And I was like, sure, why not? And it's the perfect iOS game in the sense for me that uh, I played it while I was sitting in the theater waiting for Civil War to start. And then I've played it a few more times while I'm sitting around and I will probably never play it again, but it was enjoyable for that. And the biggest thing I think of it is the art style is uh, it's this cartoony look and it's really cool. I, there could definitely be an uncharted Saturday morning cartoon. I mean, Saturday morning cartoons don't exist anymore, but you know what I mean? If they did. Uh, it could support that, and it's cool. Uh, if something to check out if you are just looking for all things Uncharted. And then I know, Anthony, you and I have both been playing um, Overwatch. I've jumped into the open beta. It's my first time back to the game since BlizzCon. I like this game, Jeff. I like this game a lot. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. It's it's very well made, that's for sure. I think what I like about it, and then Anthony can say why I'm, I'm wrong, because I'm sure he's more experienced at it than I am, it feels what's the right word pressure free isn't it but it, it's it's light enough and maybe because it's the beta you know the time of the game uh when i shine at games <laughs> um, <laughs> right when there's a very small player base yeah even though it's the open beta i'm like i'm pretty good at this but <laughs> i think the art style lends itself to feeling more friendly than like you know when you get a headshot in call of duty and like Bleh! You're just like, oh man, I uh, I definitely just died, and it shows the kill cam, and the guy's like flicking you off from across the map. Not really, but that's how it fe- that's how it feels. Um, the character animations, and it's it's fast, but not Unreal Tournament fast. Um, and the, I like the way the games are objective based. You know, you that creates this choke point or a moving checkpoint for the the payload version of the of the map, and the characters feel different enough even among classes it feels like you know like a good fighting game where it's like okay i want to learn to play this character i want to figure out tracer i want to see how she moves what makes her unique while she why she's great and then the support classes help you play a game where you don't need to be great at a first person shooter right <laughs> like i can yeah sit- there's lots of options in that game for not being the guy who kills people right which is, which is pretty cool which is which is great because it allows you to contribute in a major way and also allows you to play without being the most precise headshot guy which almost every other first person shooter i know team fortress 2 and other games are similar to this um you know usually you need to be the guy with the fastest twitch reflexes in this type of game and Overwatch, you don't need to, and it doesn't have the legacy that Team Fortress 2 has, where I feel like, you know, if you're coming up and looking for this now, Team Fortress 2, great game, overwhelming, I think, to jump into at this point, and maybe Overwatch is your thing. Anthony, how have you, uh, have you been, you played the closed beta too, right? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I spent a lot more time with the open beta. I, I agree with you. I like it a lot. I think that the, the, he, the hero shooter concept is, is, 
it feels fresh to me. The I really enjoy the way that every character might at first glance when you first jump in, it's like, oh my god, that's an overpowered character. I'm never going to be able to beat anybody with that character. But then you start to learn that almost every character, maybe with a little bit more balancing, has a counter. Uh, you might not like that character, but you know, at the end of the day, it is a team-based game. So sometimes you have to make some sacrifices to help counter what's going on on the other team and, and whether you're attacking, defending. I think there's a lot of mind games going on, and I I really enjoy all aspects of the game. Whether or not I'll be playing it, you know, in two months when I have just kind of found all the heroes I like and played them enough, I can't say. But right now, I I'm ready to buy it for sure. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest testament is I sat down and I, I streamed some of it and I I literally, not figuratively, sat down to play and I felt like I had been playing for 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I can go. And I had been playing for an hour 20. The, it, it was just that one more game. That the, the game is dangerous and puts you in a fugue state. <laughs> I was actually cryo-frozen, <laughs> but my, just my hands were out to play. That the one more game feeling that it gives you. And and at the end of a round, it doesn't show you how bad you suck, which is just awesome. I don't need to see me at the bottom third of a kill death ratio chart. This shows you the play of the game, which could be anything. It could be a dope heal or an awesome five kill shot that someone else did, but it shows, you know, cinematic play of the game. And then it allows you to give props to people who did cool stuff. And it just, you know, give that guy props. I'm not sure what those props do, but it's like a nice, like, hey, you did good. And then it shows cool how you progressed, like cool things that you did uh, in a stylish, you know, infographic kind of way. And at no point does it tell you what your kill-death ratio is or you missed healing this person when they were critical or, you know, whatever. And it just, you're like, you feel good about yourself. And then before you know it, you're in the next game. And then before you know it, it's two in the morning. Um yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. I uh, am in for the $40 PC, what, vanilla version, like that Origins edition. I don't need perks for other uh, sure. <laughs> other games that I'm not playing, but 40 bucks feels about right to me. And I think the beauty of this game is I can play it for an hour once a week. And I, you know, I'll never be the best, but I can still get in and have fun. And, you know, that's fun, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Did cool. you dive yeah. in at all, Open Beta, or are you just kind of done with it? Um, I, you know, I ha- I played a lot of the closed beta and I didn't really play any of the open beta, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just not my jam. There's not my jam. Heroes is my jam. Uh, you know, top down perspective is my jam. First person perspective perspective is not my jam. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. You know, I, maybe I'll, you know, dive back into it. If, if people are playing, if you're playing, I can, you know, it sounds fun, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Um, I real quick, we're running along cause I know that uh, we got Tons of bonus content, um, but I did want to mention uh, a little VR. Again, I can't go into an episode without me mentioning a little VR action. Uh, I finally played the Budget Cuts demo. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't tried this yet. I hadn't tried this at any event or anything. Um, budget Cuts is uh, eventually going to be a game. All they have right now is a demo. But, man, is it an awesome proof of concept of what that game is going to be. Have you guys heard of this? It's it's the stealth game in VR. No. Uh, on not. Vive, where you've got your first-person view, you're trying to you know get into this uh, building that's patrolled by robot sentries that wander to and fro, and you're in first person, so you're actually manipulating things like you're, uh, uh, you know, removing a a vent from a um, 
air duct so that you can go through that to get to another room. So you have to like physically reach out and grab it and pull it off. Uh, and you've got this little gun thing in your hand that shoots a blue orb that can bounce around, but when it lands on a surface that you can you can stand on, it allows you to teleport to that st- surface. But what it does is it bounces around and lands on that surface, and then it turns into what looks like a, a portal in your hand that shows you what the viewpoint is from that place. So, And then if you click a button, then you teleport there to where that viewpoint is showing you. So you use that to get around the level, but you can also use it to look and see where the sentry has gone because you can just shoot that orb around a corner, look at your hand and see, okay, that he's not looking at me. I can go there now. And it also lets you, lets you kind of go through tight spaces because you can just shoot a little orb and then leap into the other room. Brilliant solution for getting around in VR. And the kind of machinations of finding things, the way the inventory system works where you have one hand that can do all kinds of different things. You get a, like a, a taser dart that lets you disable the sentries for short periods of time. You get uh, like little, little knives that you can throw and, and create noises so they investigate and this sense of being actually in a place and being actually, you know, Metal Gear Solid guy trying to infiltrate these places and get around, so well done. It is, it's awesome. It's called Budget Cuts. Is it a full game or do you say it's a demo? It's just a demo right now. They're working on the full game, but it's just a sort of proof of concept. Huh. Uh, but, and I also played the Astral Dominate demo, uh, which is very rough, um, very primitive. But again, it's... It, this is a game where you kind of crash land in a, in a ship and you're on this big environment and you have to try to get into this castle. Both of these are such proof that when we, this all comes together and when we really get these AAA versions of these kinds of ideas, it is going to be so awesome. It is going to be so awesome because Astral Domine is sort of the closest thing to like a big uh, Skyrim type of experience. And my God, do I want that in VR so bad. Just manipulating your inventory in a VR environment is so incredibly fun. I want this like a big RPG. And I okay, I wasn't going to do this guys, but now that I'm on a roll here, I'm uh I I have to say what my my pitch is for a role playing game. Can I can I take a second and do that real quick? Uh yes, please. We have to okay, do yes, it please. Do it, okay, so here's my pitch for VR role playing game. Because just ha- having the ability to have the, the goggles on and go into caves and go... By the way, when we have an Uncharted in VR, it's going to be amazing. But that's a side, side note. Um, going inside these environments, going into a cave, like when you do in Skyrim, when you like find a cave and you go into it and you're, you know, you're investigating and there's bad guys there. I want all that. I want the inventory management... Of, of a game like Call of the Starseed where I actually have a bag and I actually and all the items like they are in Skyrim are 3D modeled and I can physically manipulate them with my hands. I want all that. But the way you make it work, right, is yeah, you, you sort of have to teleport around, I think. Although Astral Domine has actual movement and I never got sick. It worked really, really well. You just kind of move where you look, which is, you know, a way to do it. But the question is how do you make combat work? Without puking, right? I think the way you do it in a big role-playing game is we had decades of Japanese role-playing games where once combat is initiated, you get teleported into this weird arena and you have these turn-based things, right? Same kind of thing where you you initiate combat, you get teleported into an arena, and then you fight in first person 
with the thing. And it's a closed off environment. You can't just run anywhere and go anywhere and do anything. You have to finish that fight. You can do it with projectiles and magic or you can do it with hack and slash or whatever. But it's these like instanced little fight arenas that we just like we used to have in Japanese role playing games. I think that works. I, it, it works. It's a different game than Skyrim, right? Well, yeah, I just don't think Skyrim, the way Skyrim's battles play right. out, uh, <laughs> it, me. would be doable one-to-one in VR right now. I think that, that it would be hard. I, mean, I would love them to try and see if they could pull that off, but I'm, I think a role-playing game where you sort of cut to a fight and then have to have a fight in VR that works like VR fights, kind of like what um, Insomniac was showing with their magic game, mm-hmm. Um, unspoken, I think it's called. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So I don't want to throw shade uh, at VR in general, but my question to you now that you know it's been out and you actually have it and it's been out, and this week you talked about a couple more demos, do you still feel like it's coming or do you feel like it's here? Does that make sense? No, I, you know, I think you're right in that it's still coming. And it, I mean, it's here in the sense that I am I play it every day and I do something <laughs> fun every day in, in VR. Um, but, and, and I love the fact that I can, I love the fact that I can jump in and, and play audio shield or I can, you know, uh, do some space pirate trainer for a little while because that is, that game is incredible. Uh, but these are sort of sh- small arcade experiences that I love to do once a day or a few couple of times a day. What I want and what call the star seed teases and astral dominate teases and budget cuts teases is that deep, immersive experience. Now, I haven't played, um, what's it called, Chronos, uh, because uh, it's uh, Oculus exclusive, and I haven't got my Oculus yet. Oh, you can uh, go to Best and, Buy and get it, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, I probably should have done that. <laughs> um, so maybe that's more along the lines of, of, of what I'm talking about. And, and you know, those, these games are coming, and again, I, I, you know, I fantasized every moment I was playing Uncharted 4. I fantasized about like le- being able to look behind me and feeling like those beautiful environments enveloped me rather than staring at them on my television screen. So I can't wait for that kind of thing. But yeah, it's still coming in the sense that we're in the early days and don't really have these very deep, interesting, immersive experiences. But when I'm able to like wander around... 3D environments and level up my character and do all those fun things, find things and explore and physically manipulate items. It it will be my dream come true, and and I don't think we're far from that. I think it's it's still coming. Like what I want is still coming, and with this tech, it's totally achievable. But you know, I want better graphics in VR. I want you know deeper experiences. I'm enjoying what I've got, but I certainly think what I want is still coming. That that was my big takeaway just from the time I spent with yours, right? I mean, it is so real and so there that it, it's like, oh, this is, no, don't get me wrong. This is great. You know, no, 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 I'm, I'm not saying this isn't great. This is great. This is great. But like, I can see around the VR corner. In VR, I can see around the VR corner and it's like, no, no, this is fun. But like, look, look over there. Just, we're so close. Yeah, I know. But I mean, I, I wouldn't want to give up the joys of, of doing it now. In, in a sense of like, well, it's not there yet, but it, what, where it is is already pretty cool. But sure. it, yes, we definitely anticipate better. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. Well, we're definitely long. Um, let's, a- Anthony, did you have anything you wanted to throw in on that co- topic or no? Uh, no, I'm okay. I said enough about Uncharted. I feel good. 
cool. All right, guys. Well, um, let's uh, let's jump to tabletop time, and you can hear my uh, my interview with uh, with Rob Davio, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and then we'll be back for our parting gift. Right now, right now. All right, I'm very pleased to welcome Rob Davio back to the show. Uh, Rob is a board game designer extraordinaire. You know him from many, many games, uh, most notably recently, um, Risk Legacy and Pandemic Legacy. Uh, and from this show, he's been on a few times, and we've, I've certainly talked a lot about his games. Uh, Rob, welcome back. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for yeah, having me I back. Have to, I have to congratulate you. I know it's a little late, but... Um, Pandemic Legacy has become the number one rated board game on Board Game Geek. I think that is a huge accomplishment. So congratulations. Thank you. That I I really did not expect it. I like it. It feels good. But I sort of uh, will click over once in a while and see it up there and think, what? How did that get up there? Um, <laughs> but it's it's great. It's amazing. I never expected any game that I did to be anywhere close to that. I don't know if people realize what a big deal that is. There has been uh, Twilight Struggle has been the number one rated board game on Board Game Geek for years now, and uh, many people thought it would they would never be enough votes to overtake it. This is a completely crowdsourced uh, democratic voting process, and uh, Board Game Geek is notoriously difficult to to get you know really high scores. But I think if there's ever been a game that deserves it, my goodness, Pandemic Legacy is is that game. It, it's such an incredible experience. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. But now you have a new game uh, that we want to talk about that has just gone into pre-orders. And yes. It's called Seafall. Yes. I've been working on Seafall. It took me a long time. I started on it right when I left Hasbro and was working on it in the background, sometimes in the foreground, off and on. And it took about three and a half years. To do, and in the meantime, I designed or co-designed Pandemic Legacy in that same period, which is great because wow. I've learned a lot about this whole new legacy genre that I'm sort of playing around with. Um, yeah. And then took those findings from Pandemic and went back to Seafall. But it is it is a big game. It is ambitious, and uh, I'm really happy with how it it came out. I I am so excited to play it, especially having played Risk Legacy and Pandemic Legacy. Uh, you know, the, this legacy concept again uh, to refresh people's minds is that you you play iterations of a game, you play sessions of of the game, and it will change over time. The things you do in game one affect every game after it, and each game continues to have new rules introduced and and new things happen and you affect the board and and do things uh it's a very cool concept that is is very new and i think we're just sort of seeing some of the possibilities come to fruition what are the kind of the new aspects of that that you're exploring with with seafall um seafall let's see well seafall for the first time it's a competitive game like risk but Mm -hmm. players are asked to play the same role each game like, you are going to pick a province at the beginning of game one, or actually at the prologue, and you are going to say, that's it, I am the green province, and our name is whatever, and you name your province, and every time you play, you are the green province. So you are committing to basically trying to be the one who wins the whole campaign and becomes emperor, you know, a little small, unambitious goal. <laughs> the lord of all that is. Yeah, and will be. <laughs> Uh, so that's different. Um, 
Although some of the things that I, you know, were different for Seafall I used in Pandemic Legacy. One, you know, with Risk Legacy, I really uh, uh, underestimated how much people were going to like opening new content. <laughs> yeah, that's a thrill. That's that funny. is a thrill. And I, and I thought, oh, that'll be fun. And I didn't realize the answer is no, more now, right? Like it, and, <laughs> and so this has the more now. It has a uh, chapter book in it. Uh, you know, there's a series of entries in a book called The Captain's Book. And there are 430 of them, give or take. Wow. And you will not read them all because as you're exploring these islands, and I probably should back up here and explain that the game is basically Indiana Jones in the Age of Sail. Awesome. Right. So you are going to take your ships. You are going to go out to sea. You are going to explore islands. You are going to find things. You're going to find new islands. You are going to colonize and build buildings and improve your ships and raid people who either piss you off or just are too weak and you can tromp over them. You're going to hire advisors. You're going to name them. Um, You're going to make long-term decisions about which way your province is going and short-term decisions within the game. So that's kind of the macro view. And each game, you're going to be amassing glory for your province. And at the end of the campaign, which will reach when the island at the end of the world has been discovered, whoever has the most glory will become the emperor or empress and reunite the provinces. So it's... It's got this sort of larger-than-life feel that we were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that you'll do is you'll explore islands and you'll go in and... Um, and I won't get into too much of the rules, but basically you'll, you'll find, pick a place on the island and you'll go to an entry in the book. And it might be, and I'm going to make it up, kind of entry 90. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you'll hear a choice. It'll be a Captain Penning his like thoughts and they'll say something like, you know, I, my crew today, we were on the beach and we did this and we did this. And maybe your crew were, um, out of line that day. And it's like, they went and they just kind of partied and got wasted. Obviously <laughs> I'm making it up. And, uh, and it's like, well, we're out at sea. My first choice is I just kind of let them lie. You know, that's fine when people need to blow off steam. Or the second thing is no, no, no. I run a tight ship here. I got to get them back under control. And depending on which decision you make, you'll go to a different entry and you won't know what the other decision was. And then the consequences will roll out. So there's hundreds of micro decisions that you make to shape your game. It's so cool. One of the things that I loved most about uh, Pandemic Legacy was that it really did feel like I was part of this large narrative that, that played itself out over the course of many games. And there were plot twists and and uh, things that were set up and paid off is is that a sort of a way for you to create this narrative structure is is these um these you know um journal entries and stuff like that yeah yeah there's a couple different ways that it happens there are milestones that are in the game and they are out for players to see um for the whole game and some of the milestones, it says right on it, unlock, which means you will unlock a new box. Like it's a, it's a pivotal moment in that world's history. Yeah. Um, so you can be the one to do it. You can ignore it. It might sit there for three games. Someone might try to jump on it right away. And there are also milestones that don't unlock new content, but still sort of shape. You'll make a decision about your province. When you find a new island, you'll go to the entry. When you go, uh, an entry in the book. When you go to uh, do a milestone, you'll go to an entry in the book. So there are many times that you end up going, sometimes when you draw from a deck of cards, you go in there. Um, and, and because it's a legacy game, there's stuff that you haven't found yet. So there are other ways that you will do it that I won't necessarily get, get into. Um, but there are a bunch of different ways to go in there, which will slowly reveal the history of this world. Hmm. Um, awesome. 
in pandemic, you're kind of dropped into the middle of a story and then you're off and running. And we were going for a kind of a summer blockbuster kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And um, like a Captain America movie, we were trying <laughs> to think of a little bit. Like, here's the problem. Go solve it. Right. Right. Um, and and this is a little bit more of a of a period piece, like a Lord of the Rings feel. Not, I hate to compare it to that because it makes it sound like I'm like J.R.R. Tolkien. Look at me, but but the idea is of sort of this like this larger three hour movie that has like kind of ebbs and flows and builds, and and you start learning bits and pieces about the world that you're in and what it might mean. Well, I know that one of the things you talked about before was the, the fact that you know with both Risk and Pandemic, you had these established games, these established yeah. rule sets that you knew worked. And then you could sort of play around and add new elements and take stuff away from there. But with Seafall, you had to start also building a, a good game before yep. you could ever add or subtract rules. Yeah. What was that like? That was a, that was a nightmare. That was a mess. <laughs> I, I made every mistake you could make as a game designer. And when I was thinking about it the other day, I was thinking about from when I, I first said, okay, I'm going to make this until I was – it was at the publisher and I was done. And I realized – the United States was involved with World War II for less time than it took me <laughs> to make Seafall. <laughs> you know, but but to be fair, the United States threw more people at the problem That's you know, true than, than I did. Indeed. Uh, I, it's about the same amount of casualties, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Some days it felt like, and that does not minimize the sacrifices <laughs> of World War II. But um, no, it, you know, it's like I was I had been at Hasbro for 14 years and I left and I was thinking, I'm going to make this big game and I'm going to show people I can do meaty deep games and do more than Lord of the Rings Monopoly and I just made every mistake that a creative person can make when they get their own freedom. Like yeah. it was too big, it was too bloated, it wasn't edited. Um more is more. I wanted to get every idea that I ever had into one game and then yeah. make it a legacy game. And um, you know, luckily for me, I came to my senses and figured that out and managed to uh, strip it back and strip it back and strip it back. And my, my learning now is with these legacy games, which change and evolve, you really want that first game to be not simple, but but pretty simple. Like Pandemic is not that complicated so that you have room to grow and the complication comes through the interactions of new rules and continuing narrative. But I made the first game of Seafall like, you know, a four-hour epic with a 64-page rule book. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, and then it's going to get really crazy, and it just became a mess. So how do you know – I mean, this has been such a long process for you to, to design this game and get it out, and here we are finally able to pre-order it. How did you know it was done? Um, I knew it was done because I – I mean, I could have spent another year like running it through and looking for typos and, you know, saying maybe this, this shouldn't cost 12, maybe it should cost 10, mm-hmm. right? And, I'm you know, some of that may be in there, but it wasn't really worth another year of people saying, where is this thing? Yeah. Right? Like I looked at it and I talked with the publisher, Plaid Hat Games, and we said, no, it's 2016 and it's Gen Con. And we backed out when it needed to be done. And I said, okay, that, you know, it needs to be done then. And I brought in a developer, um which in the board game industry is kind of like an editor or, or, you know, like a right-hand man, so to speak, who we just met on and like, and beat it up for like six months at the end. And, um, you know, and I, and, and just kind of came together, not at the last minute, it felt like the last minute after so much time. And I looked and I said, you know, this is really good. And then they put the art on it. I'm like, oh, this is really good. (laughs) And, um, you know, I can step away from it and, it's so big and I spent so much time on it and expectations are a little high that I get nervous that people are going to be surprised that it didn't 
you know, remove uh, their sunburn or, you know, make their marriage better or something like that. But I'm like, I look at it and so I'm like, oh, is this, is this going to work? And then I kind of sit down and read it and look at the rules and I get very excited again because I made a game for my kind of like my 12 year old self mm-hmm. in a good way. Like it's a little bit of mix of inspired by D&D and storytelling and Indiana Jones and high adventure. And I'm just kind of thrilled with where it was and thought, okay, at this point, the amount of time I put in isn't going to make it that much better. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so excited that it's finally coming. I'm, I, you know, I've been, this has been the top of my want list since I first heard about it. Um, second only maybe to, uh, pandemic legacy season two. Yeah. Because yeah. you guys very, very craftily put season one on the box in the first yeah. one, letting us all know that there's more coming. Uh, are you are you working on season two and what's the situation with that? Uh, season two is being worked on. We we started actually before season one came out, but kind of slowly, and then we wanted to see how season one did so we can see where we made mistakes and where we did well and what people want to see different. So we it was kind of half done, not even half done. It it had been started before then, and then we used those findings to kind of work on it. But it's not done. Matt and I are still working on it. So I can't say when it will be out, but just not soon. How the heck do you guys top yourselves? Or are you even worried about that? You just kind of want to continue the story? or what's the... Um, We weren't trying to top ourselves because that way lies panic. <laughs> right. Right. And, and um, you, know, you think of movies and you think of sequels. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, our goal is Aliens. Our goal is Terminator 2. Our goal <laughs> is Godfather. It's Empire right. Strikes Back. It is not... Uh, season two of Heroes. It is not Matrix Reloaded. Right. You know, um, and the way you do that is you just sit down and pretend nothing. Well, which is why we started beforehand because we didn't we didn't know like if this gets a lot of reception, we might have been caught up in our head. We're like, well, what do we want to do? What would be fun? And just started talking like we did on the first one. Right. And um, only once, like a couple weeks ago, I had come back from a convention and there had been a lot of attention about the game and a lot of people talking to me in a way that was new to me. And I got back on a call with Matt. I'm like, okay, don't don't let me and this convention affect what we're doing because I'm starting to feel the pressure, <laughs> right? And then, yeah. but then after like ten minutes, that kind of went away. I can understand. I, I imagine that's that's a, a big deal when you when you start start second guessing yourself and not working from a place of of you know having a vision and wanting to make a thing. It's more like, oh God, I can't let everybody down. I can't let everybody down. I think that's yeah. Boring. I mean, but the, the thing is, it's not going to beat the first one. Right. Right. I mean, it's nearly mathematically impossible to do so. So you already know it's not going to do better. So then you just kind of relax and yeah. say like, well, let's just make something that we think is fun, that feels like a companion piece, but is um, not just a clone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, very excited to play Seafall. I'd love to know, other than I know that you've been consumed with getting this game ready and going, yeah. but have, is there any other games from other designers that you've played recently that you like and... Uh, yeah, I've been really busy working on my own stuff and I always feel so awful when I say that, but then I talk to other game designers and I ask them like, do you play a lot of other games? And they're like, oh no, I don't have time. Whenever, right. whenever I have friends in a free moment, I make them play my stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I played a game called Time Stories. I don't know if you've talked about it. I was hoping that you would bring that up because my dream is for you to design a Time Stories adventure. I think that would be so cool. I think that would be really cool as well. I have not talked to the people who make it. I know them. I don't know if they're keeping it in-house. I don't know how difficult it is. I've, 
I've managed to get myself a little too busy because I'm like, I'll take another huge project. <laughs> and um, so I'm saying no to everything in 2016. But as 2017 comes around, you know, maybe I'll reach out to them and see if uh, if that would something that would work. And it, and it may not. They may say, no, we keep it in house or we do this or we've already have 15 people working on it. I have no idea. Well, I think um, they'd be crazy to say no. If, if you're able to do that, I think that'd be so cool. And, and I love I mean, between that and your games and, and sort of these this trend now, I think, is so interesting to have these games that you can play through from start to finish that take you on a journey that end up in a different place than where you started and have surprises and reveals. Uh, it's such such an exciting time to play board games right now. I, and a lot of that is due, I mean, so much of it is due to to your influence. And, and so I'm so well, grateful. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think really what I want to do is be a role-playing game designer and ended up at, in doing board games and just, <laughs> you know, said, wait a minute, how can I design essentially a role-playing pre-bought adventure in board game form? And also when I was earlier, before I got into games at all, I wanted to be a television writer. Wow. So this is a combination of me saying, I like episodic television, I like comic books, and I like role-playing games. And these are all connected, related, chapter-based stories. Right. And and um, how can that be in a board game? And it wasn't really that much of a conscious decision. When I started only looking back, did I realize that I had so much interest in all those other genres, and it kind of manifested itself here. Very cool. Uh, well, t- tell people how they can pre-order Seafall or how they'll be able to get it and, and when. Uh, absolutely. So it is published by Plaid Hat Games. So you can go to Plaid Hat Games. It's plaid like the checkered pattern dot com. Um, and if you really want to get fancy right now, it's slash store slash five, four, seven, six. But you can just go to Plaid Hat Games and you'll get there. And there's a pre-order site. You'll get to see pictures of the game. Um, if you buy the game from the Plaid Hat site, Plaid Hat site, um, they will send it to you, and they will also send you, at no additional charge, I'm going into my selling mode here, um, they, they're doing metal coins of the coins that come in the game. The actual mm-hmm. game coins are cardboard, but if you order the pre-order, you get all of those coins also in metal, which are great, because they're not awesome. only good for Seafall, but if you play a lot of games that have money, um, you can just use metal coins instead of cardboard, because they're more satisfying. Yeah, for sure. Um, the game will have some limited stock at Gen Con at the beginning of August, but realistically we'll start shipping out to stores and to the pre-orders at the end of August and into September, right? They're going to kind of put some games on a, on a plane, I think, and airship them into Gen Con, which is very expensive. So they can't do it for all of them. Mm-hmm. And then the rest will be behind on a big, uh, big container ship across the Pacific. Very cool. It's bad timing for me. That's when my child is arriving. So I don't know. We'll, we'll you see will have I... nothing to do. I think <laughs> I think setting up um, a game on your table that it's meant to be played 15 times for two hours a time <laughs> is really, uh, it is a perfect time. <laughs> it's a perfect time. Oh, well, yeah. every, everybody else should be really excited about Seafall. I, I'm so glad it's finally coming out. So, uh, yeah, uh, get, get amped. Uh, and Rob Davio, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Right. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Awesome. That was fantastic. Okay. Uh, let me just stop my recording here, just in case. Um, so when you stop this now, it I just may disappear. It That's... may garble it, or it may not. But uh, if it does, thank you for talking, and good luck with your kid. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the video you sent to my wife for her birthday. Oh, my gosh. I'm I, I... so pleased to be invited to that. And I'm sorry it took me so long to get it to you. No, no, it was great, because I got like 30 or 40. And just about every one was someone that she knew pretty well. And then you're someone she had met once, 
And, and, and she got the total like, oh, he's got the voice and the dreamy looks. It's like one of those celebrity crushes. So I'm like, if I can get Jeff, like, it'll just oh, shock awesome. her. And so it's going like, happy birthday, happy birthday. And also you're like, happy birthday, Lindsay, from sunny California. And she looked and she's like, is that Jeff Kanata? Then the very next one I got was someone who we used to work with a long time ago who was standing in front of Big Ben who said, happy birthday from London, England. And it was like awesome. this back-to-back clips. Yeah, it blew her away. So, oh, that's so great. I'm, I'm really pleased. That's wonderful. So, All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. I, I wish you the best of luck with it. I don't, you don't need any. I know this, this game is going to crush. Oh, so I, I, I'm just nervous about this. Stuff. It's so big and it's so ambitious. I really do think that some people might be like, I waited three years. I thought it was going to be the best thing that ever happened. And instead, it was just a pretty good board game. Uh, I'm you know sure I mean? it's going to be awesome. I'm, so, I can't wait. Uh, well, uh, I will continue to be a dour New Englander. Until <laughs> the, reviews, the reviews, I need to live someplace in a sunny, sunny climate where I can be all chill. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, thanks again. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, we do need to thank our second sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40 GPS network, a uh, for gigabit, gigabits per second, uh, network automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. It all starts at only 10 bucks a month. What? Over 400,000 customers trust Linode, and that includes 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode, so thanks for that. Getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit, visit linode.com, L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash 5x5 today to show support for the show and use our promo code 5x5, and you get a $10 credit. Simple, powerful, reliable, linode.com. Check them out. All right, thanks to Rob Davio for that awesome interview. I cannot wait to play Seafall. It sounds like it's going to be amazing. Uh, and that's going to do it for this episode. Like I said, we do have our parting gift coming up and then an awesome interview with Dustin Browder that I think you'll enjoy, even if you're not a Heroes of the Storm fan, because he's such an interesting guy. Uh, but Anthony Taormina, thank you so much for being here, bud. Thank uh, you for really having appreciate- me. Yeah, man. Uh, where can people uh, find your work on the internet? Uh, you can find everything I do game-related at GameRant.com. I'm editor-in-chief, so I have a hand pretty much in anything. I don't write as much uh, as I used to, I did write the review for Uncharted 4, though, 5 out of 5. If you'd like to read more thoughts, uh, I do talk about the multiplayer, which I know we didn't get to cover. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Aunt Tormina. It's A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A. And I do uh, a podcast called the DC Watchtower about the DC Comics TV series. Awesome. I feel bad that we didn't get to talk about the Uncharted multiplayer. Can you, real quick, you want to say good? Bad, if you like, good? if you like the other ones, it, it's good. Um, it has some, it has, has some interesting things with uh, like buying abilities. Uh, that's neat. Are you going to be playing a lot of it? You think, or are you going to? Uh, I'll probably play it for like you know a week or two, maybe with with mm-hmm. other people. I'll try and play with Christian. And you guys, maybe. Awesome. Sounds good. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, uh, if you're listening live or when this episode comes out or you want to see it later, I will be streaming Uncharted 4 on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. I believe it go, it unlocks at 9 p.m. Pacific time. I will be 
there, hopefully successfully playing it as, as it unlocks. And um, all of my gaming stuff you can find archived over at my YouTube page, which I don't have a sexy vanity URL for because it's a new account and I don't have enough subscribers. Uh, <laughs> but you can find the link for it on my Twitch page or it's also linked at uh, my website, christianspicer.com. And uh, coming up, I will be in Salt Lake City on the 19th, 20th, and 21st. Thursday, I'm doing this uh, great showcase show called Comedy and Other Opinions. And then Saturday, the tw- that's the Thursday, the 19th, Saturday, the 21st, I am headlining a show at Sandy Station. You can find that information um, on their website if you Google it, or also Twitter is always a good way to keep in touch with me at Spicer. And then last little plug for this week, I have a parenting podcast that people have been really getting into. We've been having fun doing it. It is called Department of Parenting. Chris Quintos and I, uh, it's a lighthearted short take episodes on parenting, releasing Tuesdays and Thursdays. And they're they're clean. So maybe your kids will want to listen to. They probably won't. (laughs) But maybe. Jeff, what about you? Oh, you know, I got my usual suite of shows, uh, including Tomorrow Daily, which is uh, on CNET. You can find that at TomorrowDaily.com, talking about tech and all things future over there. Also, uh, the We Have Concerns comedy show, you can find that three days a week uh, at WeHaveConcerns.com. Only 20-minute episodes. Give it a shot. I think you'll dig it. And, uh, of course, the Slash Filmcast, we just did our big Civil War episode of the Slash Filmcast at uh, SlashFilmcast.com. This week we're doing um, High Rise, the movie High Rise. Uh, but uh, it's a great time. We did our summer movie wager a couple weeks ago, and it's a great time to hop on the Slash Filmcast talking about all the big blockbusters. We talk about them uh, spoiler-free, and then we do spoiler sections. So you know, it can help you out two ways. All right, guys, uh, that is it. Let's, uh, let's give the people something to get them through their week with the parting gift. Anthony, have you a recommendation of a parting gift? Uh, my parting gift is in light of uh, last month, April 1st, I got married. So my parting gift to anybody... Congratulations! Thank you. Uh, and I had never flown on an airplane before. Uh, and so I was, I was terrified of planes. My parting gift is, if you are afraid of airplanes, suck it up, travel, see the world. I did it. I lived through it, and it was the best experience of my life. I went to Italy and you know, saw some incredible things. So my parting gift to anybody that's listening who thinks they are afraid of flying and it's limiting their exposure to the world, do it. Go see the world. Wow. Excellent. I love that. Uh, you are, you're living your own uncharted lifestyle now. That's amazing. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a, you got a parting gift? I do. This is the only time I'll mention it. I've been doing it for a long time and I understand this, the negative stereotype of people, talking about it too much and i feel like i am not that but i will mention it i've been doing it for a, a long time CrossFit. you're talking about crossfit i have enjoyed it <laughs> i am i'm talking about crossfit that's all i will say uh geeks and sneaks lifestyle yeah, maybe, um, no, you can talk about it i'm not gonna give you any no any it doesn't i don't need to preach from the mountain um it's kind of like anthony said if you are looking for something to do and you've tried other fitness regimens crossfit has worked for me my gym, I work at a gym in Pasadena, uh, CrossFit 626. You can, if you're local, join, come hang out. It's welcoming, awesome group. Um, that's all. I've been doing it for a very long time. I never mention it because I understand it is annoying and I don't like live that life, bro. But it's not. It doesn't need to be that life. And um, I do that or like two or three times a week and then I run two or three times a week. And um, 
my easy runs are getting faster and it, it works out. Jeff, I think, I think you would personally, I think you would dig it. I should but do that, all. man. I gotta get, I gotta get, uh, I gotta get fit before my child gets here or else I'm in real trouble. Well, you gotta get fit after they cast you as Drake. You know what I mean? You have a little bit of time. How can we make that happen, man? I don't, I don't know. Well, we need to, we need to like, find a YouTube video and we need to give it a lot of dislikes. And then that's how we <laughs> make you, you, Nathan Drake. There you go. Oh, I was thinking a back catalog of uh, substantial credits that like built to supporting a headlining. That would help. Uh, actual an actual <laughs> career that would have helped. Stop really it! Should have I'm thought of jerk. that uh, ten years ago. Stop. Uh, anyway, um, I you know usually this is the part of the show where we give you at least some piece of media or some fun thing to check out over the week. Uh, I guess none of us are doing that. <laughs> We're all giving you it, stranger um, parting gifts, but that's okay. I have one because it's uh, it's spring and that means it's strawberry season. So I have a recommendation for strawberries. I love strawberries. Ooh, I don't yeah. know if you guys like strawberries, but I have something that I do that uh, my mother <laughs> taught me actually uh, uh, that I think is is the best way to enjoy strawberries, fresh strawberries. Is uh, you you get some sour cream and you get some brown sugar, like golden brown sugar, and you mix the golden brown sugar into the sour cream and then you dip the strawberry into that mixture and it is glorious. It is the most glorious. Also, if, you, if you're not doing sour cream, you can could, you could maybe do Greek yogurt. I did Greek yogurt last night because we were out of sour cream. Works works as well. Huh. Uh, but a little brown sugar in there. Mix it all up until it's a, sort of a, a, a brownish color. Uh, and then you just dip it. Alternately, you could just dip into the sour cream and then dip into a pile of the sugar. That's a sort of fancy way to do it. But, man, it's good. Super good. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. As I said, we got bonus content coming at you. That Dustin Browder interview is pretty cool, so stick around for that. I want to thank Anthony Taormina and Christian Spicer. I want to thank our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, Zero Star. They made those bumpers that everybody loves so much. I want to thank everybody that was in the chat room contributing to this show today. I had a great time. Man, I was excited for this one. I, I think you could probably tell in my voice the whole episode. Uh, It's great when you play a great game and you want to talk to people about it. It's great to have a fun group of people to hang out with. Uh, Thank you all for contributing to the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you for downloading it and maybe telling a friend. That's really our only way of spreading the word. So if you could tell a friend about the show, that'd be great. Uh, Until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. All right, uh, I'm with uh, Dustin Browder, Perfect. and we're talking Heroes of the Storm, one of my favorite topics. Me too. Um, <laughs> you guys had a lot to announce today, but let's start with the, uh, the new ranked system. Uh-huh. What are the challenges of, of making a ranked system? Why did you feel like this new one had to be implemented? Um, there's a bunch of challenges. Uh, a ranked system, in order for it to function, needs to be honest, true, kind of brutal, in its score and grading of you as a player to the best of its ability, right? There's going to be limitations to what it knows and doesn't know about you as a player. But it's going to do its absolute best with whatever information we can give it to say, you are a B. Mm-hmm. And it can't be lying about that. It can't give gold stars to everybody. This is, you know, it can't be sort of, you know, first grade math where everybody gets to win, right? It's got to be, no, if you, if you're, if, otherwise it has no value to our players, right? So it's got to be brutally honest to the best of its ability, and it's got to feel as good as it possibly can. Right. Um, so we're going to put you in this meat grinder, and we're going to try to make you feel okay with it. Yeah. Um, 
there were some real problems with our 50 to 1 system. Um, 50 to 1 was actually our second system. The original system that we built was based off of some of the successes that the Hearthstone system had. Hearthstone system is a little bit um, grindy every season. It asks you to play your way back to legend in a month-long time frame. Um, and it starts you pretty far back from where you ended last season and asks you to work your way back up to, to prove that your deck still has value, that your right. skills still have value. So we kind of started with that. We said we're going to do 50 to 1, and uh, the first 10 levels are going to be freebies, kind of like the 25 to 20 in Hearthstone, and we're going to ask about 100 games to grind up to wherever you belong. And it's going to be awesome, and we're going to do that. And so we put that in, and players said, oh, my God, okay, first of all, uh, what the heck is this level 30 guy doing in my 20 game? Right. And we're like, well, but he's going to be 20, so don't get mad. Like, no, he's 30. What's he doing in my 20 game? And we said... Oh, right, team game. Right, we're dumb. Um, yeah, I don't know why he's in there. He's in there because he's trending, but you don't know that. And so that's highly frustrating. Um, the other thing that uh, would happen with that system, players like, you, well, you know how good I am. Why don't you just tell me? This isn't about my deck quality. Right. You know, this is about my skill as a player. It, it doesn't, the rules aren't the same as Hearthstone in this game. You know, Hearthstone, me building my deck will change from season to season. So maybe I am a 13 this season and I was a 10 last season. Because we all know I'm testing my deck. It's not just my skill as a player, but my hero is the same. You haven't even patched him and you're telling me that you won't tell me what my rank is. Just tell me my rank. I'm like, oh, so you want to know your rank right now. So we, so we patched in where we get you to as quickly as possible to where you belonged. And we got rid of the grind. Hey. Well, so that seemed like a pretty good improvement, and that, that kind of worked for us. Um, but one of the challenges we, we saw when, with, with the second version of the system was um, you were going up and down quite a bit over the course of time, and so it felt kind of bad in the sense that you could gain and lose ranks so quickly. It was very stressful uh, for our players. I think, again, because Hearthstone, you kind of can blame your deck or, where, or tune your deck. Or something you can literally do right away to improve your chance in the next game. Oh, oh that, that card didn't work for me. I'm swapping yeah. it out. And yeah. the hero's like, well, I was Vala. I'm going to be Vala again. I did the best. I, I don't know what to do to not to have that happen again. Right. Uh, play better, I guess? I don't know. Um, and so, or much, more often, it's blame my teammates. Well, my teammates were terrible. Yeah. Maybe I'll get lucky next time. So, yeah. So not much you could do about it. So when the swing's up and down, so if you, you know, come in tonight and you're ranked 25, then you drop to rank 22, and then you're ranked 26, you know, six hours later, three hours later, like, that's highly stressful. So we felt like a reduction in the number of ranks would be a little more sane. Again, this is not about being dishonest. We want the system to be as honest as possible, but about making it feel better mm-hmm. is meaningful. So we're going from 50 ranks to 25 plus master grandmasters, which is 27 ranks. Um, and so we think that'll give you a little less volatility in the system. The other thing that we're doing is we're introducing a promotion and demotion game. So we did some really funny math. It was actually legitimate math, but it was very confusing for players. So we didn't want you to, if, if you're right at the line between 24 and 25, which that could be your skill level, mm-hmm. you could literally, between games, win-lose, 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 and you're right. just going back and forth, it's kind of nutty. Um, so we put some math in the current system where if you cross that line, we'd give you 100 points to kind of get you away from the boundary. Right. If you fell back, we'd take those points back from you because the system needs to be honest. Right. Well, that means sometimes, like in your most stressful games, you would suddenly lose way more points than you did before. Very frustrating. And you're like, why did I lose 220 points? Yeah. Actually, you lost 120. <laughs> I had to recover those 100 free points I gave you three nights ago that you don't even remember I gave you. Right. You never understood that I gave you in the first place. Right. So the system... It was legit, but it didn't feel good at all, right? It was kind of doing some funny stuff that just didn't track with players. So we had to get that out of there. So um, instead, we're doing this thing where um, we're going to, when you get to those points, like, hey, this next game is really important. And if you lose this next game, we're going to blow you down 
into that next rank, right? Yeah. And if you win this next one, or if you're promoting, if you win this one, we're gonna, you're gonna go up in that next rank. And so it creates that same rule, like you can't flop around as much, but it does it in a much more sane and rational way, where it's not like secretly giving you and subtracting points so you don't understand why. There's always gonna be variation in the points because if you beat a team that's much better to you or you lose a team that's much worse than you, mm-hmm. the points need to reflect that difference. Right. Um, because the matchmaking isn't always 100% perfect, this is 50-50 no matter what, sometimes you're 54% chance to win. Yeah. If you lose that game, that's a little more meaningful to us. right? But so, is there a way for me to know going in whether I'm, I'm playing a team that's a little bit better than me? I or could a little tell bit... you. I do that in StarCraft. <laughs> yeah. It was highly demotivating. It was. People it? felt like, oh, oh, oh I'm, I'm already dead. Yeah, yeah. And we, we fear, well, I don't know if this is true, and I'd be open to having this conversation, we fear that in the team game, where fear and toxicity are always a concern. That extra little poke, did you know your little screwed right now? is like, no, oh my God, right, is even worse. Now, we do show you the ranks, which right. can already put you in that kind of tilted place. But, we feel but that's, like- my, that's my fear about the promotion and demotion games is it pre-tilts people. It's it like, might. I have to win this it one. Might. But you had that anyway. You just, before, you were just afraid of it all the time. Yeah. Now, at least you'll know. Right. right. So if before, if you were low on points, you didn't really know how many points you were going to lose. And so you didn't know if this would be the time that we, we take you down or not. And yeah. so you were, I think the tension was there anyway. At least now you have that moment of, okay, this is, I literally need to be scared versus actually, I know the points are low, but it's not telling me demotion game. Yeah. So I'm okay. Right. Like, yeah. so I think, um, I think, I think it'll actually be helpful in that sense because we are always going to demote you. That's right. always a possibility. Right. If we have a system where there's no demotion, it's not honest anymore. Right. right, and then you don't believe in it, and then the whole thing's garbage, right? And it doesn't really work before. Um, StarCraft really does not have demotion in it because we place you in the season, right. and the chance of being demoted in the five league structure is so low. It was like four percent of our players are being demoted every season. Oh wow! And so we're like the whole community lived in fear of demotion. Like ninety-nine percent of players are afraid, and four percent of you are in danger. That's funny. Okay, this is not worth it. Like that. that <laughs> right. 95% of you are living in fear and you shouldn't be. We can remove all that fear. Yeah, and 4% of you got a little lucky. You should be bronze, but you're silver for three months. Okay. Right? right? Like, right, it's not right, the end of the right. world, right? Um, and so that was uh, ultimately more healthy for that game. But this game, right, um, there's a little more volatility in it. And, so and it's not going to be purely evenly distributed now, right? There's going to, you say it's going to be a bell we're, curve. We're going to bell curve like the skill and we're going to put a few more of you in silver and gold, which is where most people are anyway. Yeah. And then we're going to sort of slope down um, from there. StarCraft does it 20% across the board, mm-hmm. um, right. which, which is fine. Uh, for StarCraft, what we wanted to try this. And we, we may change our minds on that going forward. We're very open to this system modifying as, as we proceed. But we feel like matching the bell curve seems pretty reasonable. Is that along the lines of what you're talking about, about feeling good? Yeah. Like, I want to feel like I'm in the silver-gold range. So, well, well, if you're an average player, right. maybe you should be gold, yeah, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the reality is most of our players are average players. Right. So that kind of that tracks, right? Um, a lot of other stuff to talk about, too. Two new heroes that you're showing here. Um, I was surprised that neither of them were Overwatch heroes. I mean, we just got an Overwatch hero, but I thought maybe we'd see more yeah. Overwatch Crazy right away. Time. We want to keep bouncing around. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome. And these heroes look amazing, and I want to talk about them. But um, the reason I was so curious about another Overwatch hero is I, I'm curious if there's going to be a sort of thematic link between all the, the heroes that come from that game as, opposed, as far as like the, the ammo instead of mammoth. No, it's going to be hero, hero by hero. We'll okay, yeah. that's interesting. And uh, it's been a while since we I had... And that worked very well for her because of Absolutely. the burst damage. Right. Because she wanted to burst in and burst out. So the idea that if, if this is her DPS, the idea we could compress it into a small space and the reload 
she does nothing. Right. Really matches that blink, get in and get out. But suddenly her auto attack matches her gameplay. Like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. I don't know that Hanzo needs that. Right? Okay. Or whatever. Right? All right. Well, that's cool. Um, it seems to me, though, that the games that the heroes come from sort of have a thematic thing. Like, a lot of the... The Diablo heroes have this sort of collection mechanic. Is that conscious or is that just sort of hero it's by hero? That's sort of what's happened. You're not trying to make a... No, no, we're not trying. We're trying the best we can on each hero. It's so hard to even make each hero work. Yeah. We're not trying to necessarily tie the heroes together by universe. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it's been a while since we had any of the, the events. Are you guys still thinking that you're going to be continuing to do events? I do think we will probably do some events down the road. I think they'll probably be a little shorter than the last one. I think mm-hmm. we felt like four Diablo heroes in a row was too many. The community was not really that mean about it. Um, we got a few notes. Like, that was a lot of Diablo. But they didn't say too much. But mm-hmm. internally, we were like, there's too much Diablo. Yeah. I can't take this much. I want, I want something new right now. It's such a breath of fresh air when you did a new hero. Like, oh, thank God. I knew a wow hero. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, so I think if we do one down the road, look for them probably to be a little bit shorter in duration. Yeah. It's interesting. And w- can we expect a new map sometimes? Oh, we'll, do, we'll do more about it. Yeah. No question. Um, what about the economy? Uh, are you looking into new ways to use gold for stuff? Or will there be yeah. items that cost large amounts of gold? Maybe. I don't know. Like, you have to be very careful with that. I don't want to put anything that's very, you know, um, based on gameplay at a very high gold price. Mm-hmm. Um, but there could be cosmetics for sure. Yeah. yeah. So the two uh, heroes that we got, uh, Chromie and um, Medivh, are awesome. And they both show, I think, the willingness of the team to look outside the box and really create wildly different heroes with right. unique sort of game, feels game-breaking. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is such a cool thing about this particular MOBA that yeah. I think puts it ahead of the others for me. Yeah. Um, Medivh in particular, you know, his sort of invulnerability on such a low cooldown, do you guys, is there a worry about lengthening games? Are you guys trying to make sure that Heroes matches are short? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a limit, right? Like, it's not a hard limit. It's not like, you know, oh, my God, games went up from 17.2 minutes to 17.6 minutes. Ah! Yeah, yeah. That stuff varies week to week anyway, you know, just uh, depending on the meta or what's going on in the environment. Um, if games got over, you know, over consistently over 25 minutes, I'd have questions. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have total questions about what's going on here. And why are we, what's going on? Why are we doing that, right? Like, that's yeah. a problem. Um, is, there a, is there a battleground in play that's causing that? Are we, are we, do we do anything with the heroes? Like, what's happening? Um, so I, I, uh, we, we feel like from um, the days of StarCraft, uh, by accident, I think, um, games of Brood War about and StarCraft for about 20 minutes. And that felt really good to that team. And we carried that forward into StarCraft too. Um, it was enough that you could play two to three games over lunch break, but you kind of don't want to lose. Right. It's enough of a commitment that <laughs> right. I kind of want to win, but I don't need to win in order to feel good about it. And that felt pretty good to us. Um, to be fair, I think I could reconsider that value considering Overwatch games are often shorter than that. Man, I don't want to lose an Overwatch game. Right. Whew, man, I get mad when I lose an Overwatch game. Um, and so maybe, maybe we could get away with less, but we felt like that was a, a good number when we first started with Heroes. And so, but, but it's not a hard rule. It's not like if you have a 40-minute game, you need to quick, quick contact CS. Something's broken. Games are allowed to sometimes go long. Like, right. that's cool, too. We want a variation. Some games can be, you know, 11 minutes. Like, oh, man. Yeah, we, we got, got stomped. Yeah. Like, that was embarrassing. Yeah. Right? Or, oh, my God, what a bloodbath. That was a 35-minute game. As long as those are outside the norm. Right? Mm-hmm. As long as... And, and that, that's the whole goal of the game is to create a wide variety of play experiences so that when you sit down to play, you really don't know what you're going to get. And, the, and you have stories that you tell yourself, that you tell your friends, whatever. Like, remember that game that was a 35-minute game and we won? That, that was amazing. Right? Like, you want to have that high variability in experience. But yeah, I, I, I'm not too worried about it. In the case of Medivh, um, he also has fairly low damage. Mm. Um, 
he can also be a real playmaker with, with Portal that can allow a team to blow up or be blown up. I can't even right? imagine what some of the crazy plays with yeah, Portal are going to be. be. really interesting. It's yeah. pretty challenging to do, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like it's such an easy hero to play. Like, it's pretty easy to do the Medivh Portal that's the, we're approaching enemy town. Here's a portal for us to get out if this goes wrong. Yeah. Yay, yeah. I'm done, right? Um, but then the really more interesting <laughs> portals are the ones that are really challenging to pull off. Like, yeah. I'm going to put a portal right in front of Butcher. Should he use that? Mm-hmm. He has to decide. Will he? What if he goes in and blows up? That I just, I just killed our butcher. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and so there's there's a, a lot of strategy as to when to know that because you're telegraphing to your team what you intend them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy enough to do the get out of trouble portal. Yeah. Most people will take that right away, right? Yeah. But the I'm, I'm offensively portaling you in. Do you want that? Is that appropriate? <laughs> well, yeah. do I, do, am I paying attention to your cooldowns? Do I know that your your heroics ready to go? Like these are yeah. questions you have to ask yourself in Medivh. And uh, certainly when I play, I'm not like I'm not that great. Uh, I'm not that great at Medivh, but man, that portal just occupies nine-tenths of my brain. And it really feels different as a way to play. Like, I'm really stretching myself and like, oh, I'm thinking about this game. I'm holding my terrain. is suddenly everything to me. I'm like thinking about terrain. And like, I, I think about terrain a little bit with Muradin, right? Like, how can I jump over that wall? How can I suddenly make one E equals like this huge foot run for everybody else? Yeah, like, yeah. ha Like, you yeah, know, I just yeah. did this, this obnoxious thing. But now, man, with Medivh, I'm thinking about that like constantly. It's really yeah. interesting. And your, and your mounted form, too, is like, you know, I'm a human visibility, yeah. you know. Yeah, I can turn into a ward, a moving ward. Like, yeah. let's, let's, let's go look. I don't know, you know. Yeah. And it's funny, like, it seems so powerful, and, and it is in, in a lot of ways, but I think in a lot of ways, too, like, I don't know how many times you've played where I'm sitting there like, they're at boss. Mm-hmm. I don't need Medivh to fly yeah. over and look at it. Exactly, you know, I know. <laughs> they're doing their giants. And I know right. where they're at. Yeah, <laughs> right. Medivh, go look. Like, I don't yeah. need you to do that. So yeah. it, it's not insanely powerful in that sense. That right. Often high-level players, even mid-level players like, like me, I know where they're at. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't need somebody, I don't need Medivh to get on his bird form and fly over there and have a look. But, but sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes really powerful. And when you're trying to do something a little thinking but Eve's overhead, you're like, oh, I guess we're not going to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can burn over there. That's <laughs> like, cool. Fuck off. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, playing, playing Overwatch. One of the things that I immediately thought in the first few times I played Overwatch is, boy, their end game screens are awesome. Seeing that really replay really and like, being able to vote up and vote Amazing. down stuff. Is that something you guys might consider? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're obviously looking at that. We're yeah. looking at things that we can do. I don't know if we can do play the game with our technology easily right now but mm-hmm. um, I think one of the challenges we have with heroes is we have a score screen the score screen is fine there's nothing wrong with the score screen it's a giant spreadsheet but then all score screens are a giant spreadsheet right and that score screen is um, trying to do the work that a leveling system would have done in a previous version of heroes right mm-hmm. if you're going back to Dota you'd look at my final level I was level 19 you were level 13 that's what happens right I don't yeah, know yeah. my Dota players sound like that they don't really um, <laughs> sometimes maybe they, they do, do. <laughs> um, and so that, that's how you would that's how you would know that you played well and so we're, we're saying oh, look just you know you played well look at the score screen that's how you know you play well when I play shooters I don't look at my level mm-hmm. there's no level in, 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 in Counter-Strike I right. look to see how I how many kills did I get? Like, this is the meaningful way. So we're saying, look at the score screen. But the score screen is a spreadsheet, and games have evolved a little bit since the days of Counter-Strike in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. And players, are, they, they, they can look at assassin damage, they can look at a few variables, but it's kind of hard to grok it. It's kind of understand, did I play well, did I not play well? And if you're knowledgeable, you can totally use the score screen we have to know if you played well. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit of work, and not always is knowledgeable, and it's a lot of work, right? So even right. if you know the answer... You just hit leave and play this game. You don't get that feeling of knowing that you really played well. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of things we can do to sort of surface, to, to, to pull the information. We'll keep the score screen, but to pull that information and go, this is what you would have found if you'd t- spend three minutes looking at the score screen. Yeah, here, yeah. Here you go. Here you go. Your attack damage 
was amazing. Right. You, you blew up Heroes. That was awesome. You didn't do so well. Right? Like, whatever. Right? Yeah, but, and yeah. be honest about it. Don't lie. Right? Yeah. No lie. Right? But, but be straight with people and say, this is where you succeeded. This is where you, maybe you could learn to play a little bit better. And I think we could take all the information we have there, maybe some more information, and pull it out and do something better. And, and we're definitely working towards in the next few months towards something that does something along those lines. I think that'd be really cool. That'd be really helpful, right? Yeah. Uh, another thing along the lines of sort of not lying to, to people, is there ever talk of a transparent MMR? Yeah. Yeah. Something you guys want to do? It's mixed. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of for it. Yeah. Um, I am not clear. I have not been talked off the ledge on that one yet. The argument so against can... is that people obsess about it too much or I'm what? I'm not clear. <laughs> That's why I've been talked off the ledge on that. Um, one of the concerns about MMR in the past, there's a couple of concerns. One is um, sometimes we will move your ranked play around based on bad behavior mm-hmm. and they wouldn't touch your MMR. So if you become, like, like if you're playing badly, we can tank your you're ranked, but we don't want to tank your MMR. Right. That doesn't really hold water for me. It's a very rare case. That's like a 2% case or one, yeah. even less than that. It's a fraction of a percentage point of players who are quitting out of games, whatever, that we would abuse right. their ranked points but not change their MMR. Um, the other one is they, that becomes the default way of discussing the game. And it really, shouldn't our ranked play be reflective of MMR? Yeah. It really should be exactly MMR, right? Is it not? Mm-hmm. I want to hear about how it's not, right? right? Um, and that our ranked play, because the MMR numbers we use, we don't even use the same numbers you guys use for hot logs. We do a, a system of uh, negative three to positive three with 0.0 being gold hmm. dead center so we don't the, the, if I show you MMR today your MMR is going to be 1.765 right okay go tell somebody you're 1.765 <laughs> so, that, how sounds, would you, that sounds low why don't you, it's not it's actually really good yeah. you're, you're away from zero right that's actually probably platinum or something right yeah. like, but go tell me you're platinum like oh like that's more yeah. meaningful so that's, that's the argument for it but I don't know I'm, I'm a little I don't know I'm okay with it like, you know, I, I'd be okay with it so I, I think we're going to continue to discuss it I, I certainly welcome more feedback on it um, I'm happy to take people's notes on that I'm happy to hear more complaints on it like certainly yeah. we've been hearing it long enough we haven't made a move I'll take whatever rage people want to have on that like yeah. do it right. go faster okay right like I'll, I'll hear that for sure um, and I think we'll definitely keep talking about it but it, it, it's gonna it's gonna keep coming up until we hear a definitive reason why it's a mistake or until we do it yeah um, but I, well I think the, the amount of people that at a certain a certain commitment level into the game sort of turn to hot slogs for that data you know what I mean? And they're using it now, right? But it's not quite accurate, right? That's the problem, right? We want to know the actual data. Seems like not so good, right? Like this seems yeah. like so. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not. I'm not really against it, but um, but we're we're talking about it for sure. I could be wrong. There could be somebody in the dev team that goes, "Dude, you're dumb." Here's why I go. Oh God, you're right. That's so good. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll definitely keep talking about it, and, I, and I'm very open to hearing feedback on it. Yeah. Um, I guess we can just wrap up on on this idea of the push and pull between the competitive scene and the more casual player um what is your feeling on where the game sits now i mean i i think here's the dorm and even the 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 real esports scene uh real esports i'm sorry no no i mean here's the dorm but i mean like you know cash i guess (laughs) i apologize no it's good Uh, well you know yeah i know what you mean um the, the professional, the professional esports team, as opposed to indeed, the collegiate yeah, esports indeed, team. Indeed, indeed. Uh, but I, I meant to say that both are vibrant and fun, fun to watch. Fun. And I think, yeah, yeah. my goodness, was Heroes of the Dorm no, well produced and they just did an amazing work. Incredible. I was blown away. Yeah. So I think that 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 is is, is continuing to grow and is uh, I think vibrant and fun yeah. and really cool to watch. Yeah. Um, I, I think most of the people that listen to my show are probably in that. Uh, you know, more casual range. Mm-hmm. And I think this game is the most uh, accessible of the sort of big MMOs, sure. or, excuse me, MOBAs yeah. for them. Um, 
how do you feel about positioning and the challenges there? I, I, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Our goal with Heroes has always been easy to learn, impossible to master. I don't see a conflict here. There's, yeah. not, there's not two groups at war over the soul of this game. Right. It needs to be easy to get into, and the high end needs to be insane. And you look at like, I'm never going to be that good. I, I don't know if I can be that. That's what looks really hard, what they just did there. Yeah. Um, and there's just this belief that you can be one or the other. And it's just not the case. You know, um, if you certainly look at a game like World of Warcraft, um, you can be a level one World of Warcraft player. You can be a high-end raider. And you both live in the same ecosystem. And the number of players that I saw go from one to the other was kind of insane. I remember when I first joined the company, um, I was coming out of um, EA, and we had this very clear view of there's casual and hardcore, there's casual and hardcore, and hardcore is small and crazy, and they scare us, and casual is big and nice, and they pay the bills, right? <laughs> right. And that was, that was the view of these two audiences, right? And I came to Blizzard, like, well, there's casual and hardcore. They're like, well, yeah, but all the casual wants to become hardcore, right? Mm. And they're going to get there one day if only we let them. If only we make the game good enough, eventually everyone will be hardcore. Mm. Like, no. <laughs> show me. And they would say, well, like, you know, like 60% of the people have raided Blackwing Lair. I'm like, what? And this was the point when Blackwing Lair just was, was kind of scary. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean 60%? Oh, yeah, 60% and growing. And that was the reality. And, and so you, you look at World of Warcraft. First of all, that's a crazy number from my EA days. Like, there's no way no 60% of the audience. There's a big audience, right? Yeah. Is raiding Blackwing. Is raiding, raiding yeah. Blackwing Lair, right? right? So we definitely, we don't view them as, as, as two groups. We view all casual players as where everyone begins. Even mm-hmm. the hardest core Dota 2 guy coming in is technically casual when he walks in the door. He doesn't sure. know the answers. Yeah. And we view everybody who wants to play this game with their friends as someone who could one day want to be ranked two. Right. I don't know. I don't know where you're going. So I'm not going to assume that you're two different groups. I want to make sure the game is good enough and that we love it enough and that we support you enough that you will come with us for as long as you want on that journey. And if you ever check out, I hope you don't leave mad. Mm-hmm. If you leave, leave. Please. Don't stay with us if you're done with us. But if you leave, I don't want you to leave mad because I want you to come back to another Blizzard game one day. I want you yeah. to leave with a happy feeling that, that we did okay by you, even though you got bored and wandered off and started playing Division. That's cool. <laughs> Have a good time, right? But, but I want you to leave happy. And so I don't really view those as two separate groups. Everyone is somewhere in that continuum right now. We just have players. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, I had somebody ask me today, like, well, how do you view, like, uh, matchmaking, casual versus hardcore? Clearly, the hardcore won and the casuals don't care. I'm like, whoa. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Casual players care very much who's in their game. Right. They, need they don't to have want players way experience. better than they are. Yeah, exactly. The, the needs are the same. There's no different. Yeah. It's like the hardcore guys have some sort of, you know, monopoly on wanting to see the right players in the game. <laughs> Everyone who wants great players. It's like, well, balance. Clearly, balance is a hardcore thing. No. Right. The casual guys care very much that their heroes are playable. Yeah. Maybe even more so because they're playing a fewer set of heroes. They don't want Rainer to suck. They're playing Rainer, right? right? So, right. so it's, it, it, it's, everybody's the same, right? So yeah. um, Heroes is in a weird place because we went out like without a shop. And we went out with the talents. And we said, well, that's casual. Like, no, it's a shop per hero. You need to learn each hero all over again. That's crazy hardcore. And nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody believed me. And, and, um, and then we have had things. like We, we don't have a Grandmaster. We don't have uh, a Master League. Um, we haven't rolled the season like forever. This is communicating to people that we're not serious about competitive play. That's never been our intent. Mm. Our intent is to be serious about competitive play. And so a lot of people have said to us, well, this is your casual game. I'm like, it's accessible. Right. But never, the intention was never to be specifically only for one group of people. The, 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 the intent was always to have a continuum of experiences and to not view people as one or the other. I, I, I'm a gold league player at best, but I have nights where I want to win. Sure. Am I casual or hardcore then? I suck. Does that make me casual? I know guys in, at, um, inside Blizzard 
who have 3,000 games of StarCraft II in their bronze. Mm-hmm. What is that? Right. That's hardcore, man. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. You suck. <laughs> but you're hardcore. Yeah. yeah. Right? So yeah. what is that? So when I'm playing at night and, and I'm on Skype and I'm screaming at one of my best friends, don't dive, don't dive. Right. Am I casual or hardcore? You're hardcore, I'm hardcore. Yeah. But I'm still gold. Yeah. Right? So it's a continuum. And so we really want to just, we want to support everybody. And we want people to come along for the ride. And then I have some nights where I'm sitting there with a beer in one hand and I'm like, I'm, I'm picking troll heroes <laughs> to play with my buddies in quick match. That's casual. Yeah. No, right? Like, yeah, that's I hope okay. it's quick match. I yeah, feel like I'm, I've been ranked match yeah, with yeah, you. No, no, no. It's not, no I never do that in ranked. Never do that in ranked, right? But, but, um, but so, I, you know, or, or I get in, I had a great Hero League game the other day where I got to be um, the drafter, which was terrifying because I hadn't done that a lot. I'm not a great drafter, even though, you know, work on this stupid team, right? But, but um, I was like, I, I led a team to success. I was playing as hard as I could, yeah. doing everything I could to get those guys to work together as a group. And we were, bo- and we overcame, we were, we were going to lose at one point. We came together and we, we bonded and won it. And so we were, tr- everybody on that team at that moment was hardcore, but we were gold. Right. right. I don't know. No, it's a great answer. It really is, and, that, and that's how I feel about it as well. But uh, I, I, being here and seeing the team and being able to interact with you guys, it, it's clear the, the amount of passion that's involved, and it's, it's inspiring to see. So oh, I you, really sir. appreciate it. Yeah, and I love the game. I'm a, I'm a daily multi-hour player, oh, which, yeah. is, which is <laughs> such a mess. I do, I do yeah. the same thing. <laughs> nine, at, 9 to 11, after the kids go to bed, before I get on the exercise bike, yeah. every night is Heroes of the Storm. And well, I'm a regular ex- crew. We play with Alan DeBerry. Maybe go talk to him. He's our tech director. We're playing That's every awesome. night together. It's so funny. This dude is like the coolest dude. Like I'll be like, oh, man, we're, we're GG. We're dead. He's like... It's Towers of Doom, dude. It's never GG. This what are you never doing? GG. He starts laughing at me. Like, just chill out. Focus. That's you what's do great about Russ, right? man. Like, it's never GG. Yeah, it's never GG. So I literally the core goes down. I just had a rage for a moment. I just been full baby <laughs> mode, right? For no reason. Right? Like, it was just, it's, it's absolutely a blast to play with you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this. Hey, this was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, Good questions, you. man.